down, motherfuckers. Uh, it's uh, Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. That's what you're listening to. Getting motherfuckers in nice and early, so you know there's going to be lots of swearing. <laughs> get Ula in as well. Ula in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know it's going to be um, multilingual and... Sexy. Sexy. And it's going to be sweary as well. My name's Stephen Hill. I'm the main host. That's Renfrey Deadman, the <laughs> inferior host. Hello, you cunts. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, um, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. So, do you want to talk about where you, why were you recording kind of 45 minutes later than we usually start recording? No. You don't? No. Not want to talk about my sandwich that I made you? Yes. So, okay. Now, I know that people get bitchy about the fact that we've been eating stuff on the show. Yes. I've had a few tweets. Well, stop eating. Stop eating. Yeah. This is a nightmare. I've said it before. I'm, I, I wasn't even joking. I get back and literally, like, this motherfucker, you come around earlier and earlier every week. I keep thinking I'm going to see you asleep on my doorstep. I'm just getting when I get back. more on time every week. No, no, you're getting much earlier. Right. So I don't have time to have a dinner. I didn't even have time to have lunch today at work because I've been busy. Oh, I'm just growing. Yeah, well, I need some food. <laughs> yes, that's so I'm eating. So we yeah. pushed recording back today, and I made Renfrey uh, a cheese and ham sandwich. Yeah, I've also pack. had some chili tortilla chips. Yeah. Now, if good. any of those things, because tea haven't got back to us, if no chili, tea, tortillas, ham, cheese, or bread want to sponsor us, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I would be any of those things. I'm trying yeah. to lay off the bread, so maybe not the bread. Oh, really? Carbs, innit? Why don't you just change to brown? Oh, there's still carbs in brown. Yeah, there's still carbs. <laughs> this is why. <laughs> well, when people want to lay off bread, they usually just change to brown. So no, I, you they know. don't. When they want to lay off bread, they, they, they stop don't eat bread. All right, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've well, got to get off the carbs. Well, the friends that I hang out with, yeah. I... Your bloated friends. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. Well, I need people who make me feel better about myself. So, you know. uh, okay, well, you have come to the wrong place, but you've come to the right place, dear listener. Um, we want to give a shout out to Musicism as we do every week. We're happy to be a part of the Musicism family tree. Mm. Probably the um, the humour. I've done that joke before, haven't I? From the office. Shouldn't really do it again. It's too late. It's been done. I'm not sure which joke you're about to do, but... but... I've just done it. I've literally oh, just cool. Done it. Okay. Yeah, because you don't watch the office, do you? Because nope. you're... They provide the best online tutorials for the budding musician. Whether actually you're a guitar player. be talking about uh, two of the people who run two of the courses later on this episode. Yes, we will. You love getting in that way too early, don't you? Yes, you I do. When we reviewed their album. Yeah. Um, so yeah, go over if you want to be better on guitar, you want to be a better singer, if you want to be a better producer, they will, they will walk yeah. you through that process for the measly sum of $9.99 or... Seven pound forty eight? Forty nine. Forty nine fifty. If you put in twenty five percent off basically, if you go to the <laughs> checkout and put in the code right in capital letters. So on this week's show we're gonna be reviewing new albums from Smashing Pumpkins, Mumford and Sons, Failure, and Azusa. And also we're gonna be welcoming back my friend, your friend, friend of the show, friend of the earth. Yeah. Friend. Everyone's friend. Everyone's friend. Everyone's friend. Even, even Hitler's friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I've got, I'm pausing over the, uh, over what records this for us. I'm wondering, do I write a time code and an edit point for that? No, do you think people are suddenly going to go, well, I won't listen to Jamie Lenman now. Now I know that he's Hitler's friend. Um, if anyone thinks that Jamie Lenman is like genuinely friends with someone who died 
40 years before he was born, then you're a fucking idiot, surely. I think what we're trying to say is he's such a personable, decent chap that even Hitler, even Hitler would, go be like, would invite him round to tea. This guy's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Jamie would probably go, not really, it's not really my vibe. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but he'd but be really anyway. polite about it. But he would be really polite yeah. about it and Hitler would go, that's fair enough. Yeah. Oh, well, anyway, got stuff to do. So what's Jamie doing on the show this week? <laughs> He's going to be talking about Hot Space by Queen, yes. which is a fucking mad album. Yeah, yeah. Really it's a great mad. Chat. It's, um, uh, it's such great. a, yeah, such a Jamie Lemon pick. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's coming up later on in the show. What We're going to be doing something. Like, we've been sort of teasing this for a little while. Uh, and it's, it's happening now, isn't it? This week, we're going to start putting out specials. Yes. Sort of, um, we did the Jeff Buckley one and we kind of gave it to you for, I don't think we give it to you for free, but the specials are going. The specials to be, are going to be free. They are free. Yeah, we're not asking for any money or anything. We're nope. just going to put them out as because we like doing this, yep. and it's nice. It's a nice thing to do. It's yep. a nice thing for us to do, and hopefully, it's a nice thing for you to listen to as well. So um, we've got one on Roadburn. Yes, Roadburn Festival, which is a, obviously you know the the premier underground music festival on the planet. I would say. Yes, I think that's fair. Yeah, it's definitely the most revered by the artists. Certainly for heavy music, yep. and I, I I stress heavy music, not metal music. And heavy music mm-hmm. and all its assorted associations as well. we're also going to be putting out a chat you did with Jonah Matranga formerly yeah. of FAR yeah. about FAR's Water and Solutions records yeah. a brilliant chat which I have is great. to say um, we talked for so long we actually I actually missed my train right, <laughs> fucking hell because so um, it, it was we were going to put it on this week's show but it's yeah. so sort of involved and lengthy that we've decided to dedicate an entire show yeah. to that record yeah 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 we're just going to have the we're just going to put it out as like a two hour kind of special thing um, and it deserves it as well because I imagine I imagine some of you listening to this will be familiar with that record but I imagine a lot of you won't be either and you should be and you really really should be yeah. so um it's and Jonah is one of the like one of the most entertaining interviews I've ever done. I mean, Maybe. the guy is so open, yeah. so honest. I only, I, it goes on for about an hour and a half, and I only got through half of my questions. So if I didn't ask one of the questions that you wanted me to ask, it ain't my fault. That's fair enough. Well, I'm sure that anything that doesn't get asked, you and I will cover when we do a little yeah. chat about it before. He's, he's already said that he wants to come back on the show. Oh, so. amazing. I, I'd really, really love to talk to him about all kinds of things. Um, maybe you do Thriller by New End Original. I love that record. He, I mean, he, he wants to talk about his entire career with oh, us. He was, he was really stoked afterwards. Yeah. And okay, it was really cool. nice about it, so. um, We're also, the other one that we're going to be doing, which I haven't actually recorded this yet, but I'm calling it the cover, the, the cover art. Which is the art of the cover. We're doing a... I've made that up on the spot pretty mm. much. Remember? Mm. It but did yeah, sound like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we might change that. But basically we're doing it. We're going to do a special about um, cover versions. I've picked eight. You pick seven. You can pick one more. You will pick eight. I will surely. pick one more. Yeah. I've been busy talking to Jonah Matranger. Yeah, all right, fine. But we're going to be kind of dissecting what it is that makes a good and or bad cover Yes. through those 15 stroke 16 different covers that we have between the two of us so yeah. that's coming as well yeah so that's all cool so like i say they're gonna go out for free because we're just gonna do it for, for something nice to do but if you think well that is a nice thing to do i'd like to do something nice back because they're obviously putting quite a lot of work into this go to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast you can um give us some money i mean say you just listen to the, the specials and you want to give us a pound or two pound for for one of the specials that you listen to Mm. that would be really really lovely and we would very much appreciate it um we've had some really nice um little uh donations so that makes it sound dodgy doesn't it Mm. It, it's not um some people have just been really kind and just gone i just want to give a one-off donation and they've given 
quite you know quite sizable amounts so that's really really kind thank you very much yeah we really really appreciate that so thanks guys and find us on facebook and go to at riot act underscore podcast if you want to follow us on twitter and just talk it's about all kinds of things <laughs> but actually it's an album that we're reviewing next week which is solely down to the amount of kind of stuff that that we heard that's people true. were talking about so yeah yep. we do listen we do try and listen um good week that's just been for gigs for the two of us, I think. Yeah, it's I've November. been in quite a lot recently uh-huh. and because of various reasons. And I've sort of found myself going out this week, which has been nice. That's nice. I know, right? The outside world. Yeah. It's cold and it's wet and it's muggy. And I don't yeah. like it. So let's start off. You saw Tosca. Yes. Um, and uh, they are the band with the members of Musicism that we were referring to yes, earlier. Yes. So Renfrey. Let me know. How well, Tosca? Well, um, so Tosca are uh, touring their debut album, Fire by the Silos, which we reviewed a few... Yeah. <laughs> oh, little... No, 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 it's just funny because you made a point of saying a debut album. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing me under the bus, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, there you know, their debut album, mm. um, which came out... We reviewed it, like, what, a few weeks ago? Yeah, uh, weeks came ago? Out, yeah, 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 something like that. And... Um, it's a really spectacular show. They're using these like um, lights that are kind of blinding, basically. You can see basically the whole audience all the time. And people were going off. I mean, it's a hometown show. Uh, it was the last show off the tour. But you don't normally expect, when you talk about instrumental prog music, you expect a crowd to sort of stand there and stroke their chins for an hour, an hour yeah. and a half, whatever it is there was a pit and it just went on for the entire I can imagine hour and a half that they were playing Mm. because the riffs that they play are you know they are quite heavy I mean there are there are chilled bits but it was it was really really just went off from the beginning sold out show and as a matter of fact the entire tour was sold out that's great they sold out every date in the UK uh, and they sold out a couple of dates in France and Germany. So, like, you know, it's not just us banging on about them. Mm. Um, they they and, and they were absolutely fantastic. Um, I have some minor gripes, some really, really minor gripes. Always which do, are, yeah. Always do. I always yeah. do. Yeah, that is um, part, of, part of my job. <laughs> um, simply that I think they played an hour and a half, I think an hour and a half for a, a band on their debut. They've got one album and one EP. It yeah. felt a little bit stretched. I think that they should have maybe done 70 minutes, but to give them credit, the crowd never let up. I was just like, Whew, this is going on a little while. I can um, imagine actually when you say about the crowd movement, I mean, that's one of the things I that struck me the most when we reviewed the album is how kind of involved, because it, it is easy to sit back and take a kind of passive approach like yeah to have a kind of passive relationship with some of that music i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i don't feel like that. i've gone i've still been listening to that record a fair bit actually it's really i good. think it's fucking really good yeah, yeah, it's, yeah really it's really good. good it's definitely one of the best instrumental records of the year i think mm. and there's a lot um you know it, it it's it's definitely when you say instrumental prog people will have an idea of what it is and, it, and whatever you're thinking it's not that it's far more interesting and involved than that it's you know pink floyd but just a bit more metal i guess um and more energetic it's it's really really it's great and the show that they put on is amazing um like the other minor point is just like do you remember we were talking about the um charlie chaplin speech the other yeah. day um the what's the what is the it? great dictator the great dictator speech 
um, that was used. And I was like, oh, that's the 17th time I've heard that this year. It gets used a lot. Like this, <laughs> it gets it? used. It's a brilliant speech, but too much. Um, and also they use a speech from Network as well, which has been used quite a bit. More yeah. in this style of music <laughs> more than anything else. But that um, has been, I've heard that has been Yeah, used yeah. And again, the Network speech is brilliant, very prescient for these times. Um, but I saw that at the National Theatre with Brian Cranston Network. Oh! My mate was in it. My mate, really? My mate Dan was in that. Oh, I bet that was wicked. It's really good. It's yeah. a great film, Network. It's fucking brilliant. Mm. Um, you know the guy who acted in that film? He found out he had terminal cancer just before he got that role. Did he? Yeah, no, that's I didn't why know that. he's so fucking manic all the time. Yeah. In it. Anyway, slight deviation. That's but yeah, fine. they were fucking great. Um, two days earlier, uh, in exactly the same venue, I saw another instrumental band and so I watched you from afar now yeah, and so he, I watch you from afar who I am a huge loves, fucking yeah. fan yeah I fucking love them I, this is I've seen them a lot fucking hell um they you know I, I'm I, I've I'm never really disappointed with them so I watch you from afar so I'm not going to wang on about how great I think they are too much because I always really like them yeah one thing I will say, uh, just, just as an interesting comparison to Tosca, and I don't really like to compare bands in this way because I think it's a little unfair, but obviously, you know, just being two days apart in the same venue and both instrumental bands, people usually really go off for And So I Watch You From Afar. They're another band who don't have people who are chin-strokey, especially at an Arc Tangent or one of their big London shows or something like that. Now, people were definitely going off for Brighton, but I noticed that for the Tosca crowd, people were noticeably more goey offy which i believe is the term <laughs> <think> is, yeah. <laughs> which was just more interesting rather than anything else i and so i watch you from afar i feel are one of the most energetic bands in that scene yeah they definitely um, are like i mean i've not seen them live i don't think i've mm, only seen a little bit of them live yeah, but yeah. certainly on record they are mm, yeah. mm. they really are and like um you know i don't know if that was like a it, it was a bit of a weird tour this one like it was just um rooted through um, like it didn't go through London. It was just like a few few dates. I think I'm, I don't I don't really know. But um, yeah, they were fantastic as usual. Lots of stuff from their later albums. Um, I am more of a fan of the earlier stuff, but I still really like the later stuff. It was a similar ish set to the Arc Tangent set, to be honest, except with um, not doing the new album through in full. But they were as usual fantastic, really, in my yeah. opinion. So. Um, um, yeah, not not the best of seeing from them, not the worst, but like very, very good as okay. always. So yeah, really enjoyed them. I uh, went to see the 40th anniversary, 40th, 40 years as a band. And it's the same fucking lineup. As well, there has been lineup changes over the time. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Killing Joke. Yeah. Killing Joke. Right, I've seen Killing Joke a whole bunch of times over the years. Like they've become one of my favourite, I think they're, become one of my just one of my favorite ever bands full stop mm -hmm. i love i absolutely love killing joke They're yeah fucking brilliant you gave me one of their albums the trade off last week descent which is great um <coughs> european super state second song on the set nice song at the roundhouse career 40th anniversary you get a kind of career spanning set and a killing joke greatest hit set is a thing of utter magnificence they played for about an hour and a half I think they played for about 90 minutes and you think I went out and I was like just think what they didn't play mm. um, and the amount of records they have though yeah, yeah they, they could play see they're a band who, for me could play, they could play for three hours 
they could play for th- they could play for three hours mm. and the energy wouldn't drop. But I kind of like the fact that it was a really good summation of their entire career. Like there was mm. a bit of stuff from they started with you know like they they um, with um, the one from Pylon the the pre the last record mm-hmm. um, they did pretty much they did something from well, maybe not every record but most certainly most of their back catalogue they did four songs from the self titled debut record right. which I think is the kind of hearing those songs like I know you mentioned about the production mm-hmm. last time I mean it was the when they remastered that in 2000 and, I want to say 2005 maybe yeah so they rem- they remastered um, the first four Killing Joke albums in 2005 mm-hmm. and I bought the self-titled one because it got this like incredible five-star review in Kerrang and that was the first time I ever paid any attention to Killing Joke. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got it back and I was just like, oh my goodness, this is absolutely, these songs are fucking incredible. Hearing a 2018 beefed up version of Killing Joke playing those songs, yeah. hearing the weight, like you think Metallica's version of the weight is heavy? Yeah. You think yeah. that's apocalyptic? You think that's like gruff and threatening? Yeah. Fuck me. You should hear Killing Joke doing it themselves. Yeah. Like I was sitting there, I was thinking that Metallica have, you listen to Metallica covers and often, you know, I'm not saying they do a better version of Last Caress than the Misfits or whatever, or they do a better version of Overkill than Motorhead or whatever. But you listen to a Metallica cover and you go, that is, you know, like Whiskey in the Jar, fucking killer. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like they yeah. always do songs yeah. and you go, that's fucking killer. The Their page. version of The Weight, I think sounds shite compared to the Killing Joke version. Really? Yeah. Compared to the Killing Joke version that I saw the other day, I was like, wow, they've made Metallica look like babies. Mm. Like it was so like apocalyptic. And Jazz Coleman is such a brilliant front man. He's such an engaging presence. He's such a weird guy. Um, He kind of, he walked on and he kind of crawled out from behind the amps. He kind of crawled his way out of the amps. Like he didn't just kind of, you know, normally front men come on and go, yeah, we're here. He just sort of like crept his way onto the stage and he does that kind of, he still does that kind of mechanical stomp that he does. They are a really weird band. They're really heavy, like metal. They're quite dancey sometimes, like industrial. They're, very post-punk there you know all these kind of themes of 80s like alienation elements of goth elements of goth yeah like indie music as well dark waving you know that kind of i guess shoegazy maybe not shoegazy indie is quite the right thing but certainly like 80s indie music it's very hard to what you're basically trying to say though very hard very hard to pull down to pin down and when you've got i mean that set you know asteroid 80s um Mm. All the stuff from the from the debut album, 80s, Limb, Love Like Blood, 80s Pandemonium. is the song that uh, Kurt Cobain is often 80s. accused yeah. of ripping mm. off the Come As You Are riff. Is yeah, that correct. It, yep. Yeah, it, it's also in the film Weird Science. <laughs> I haven't seen Weird Science for a long time. Well, you should watch it for the eighties. <laughs> scene with Robert Downey Jr. dancing to Killing Joke. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't fucking get you excited, I don't know what will. So yeah, I thought Killing Joke were. I have to say, overall. It wasn't because it took a little while for the sound to get good. The first couple mm. of tracks, it's a shame because I, I mean, I, like I said, I love European Superstate, mm. but it sounded very muddy. Mm. Um, and it took, and I think the Roundhouse always, whoever I've seen at the Roundhouse, always takes a couple of songs for it to even itself out, especially on the balcony. I was up on the sort of seating mm-hmm. part. And I think we spoke about Machine Heads mm-hmm. um, earlier in the year. I don't think we did on here, but we, personally we did. Mm-hmm. And you loved it. And I was like, it took a couple of songs for me to really get into it because I felt like on the on the sort of seating area, it's very muddy. And I get that from the roundhouse every single time I go when I'm up there. I always feel like it's good two, three, four songs. But by the end, 
The set list was so good and that's not their fault. And yeah, they were fucking brilliant. brilliant. I mean, if you're not into Killing Joke at this point, uh, I suppose you're not going to be. But <laughs> Did they do anything special for the 40th anniversary? Or was it just the set? Was? No, it, no, no, yeah. it didn't. I mean, actually, yeah, it, they, they didn't do anything special apart from Jazz Coleman. Jazz Coleman usually talks in riddles and in political kind of sloganeering. Um, yeah. But he actually said, you know, thank you for 40 years. He actually, and that actually made it kind of quite special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Jazz Coleman doesn't usually talk like that. He doesn't usually address the He doesn't say directly. like, I love yeah, you yeah, to yeah, his band yeah, members yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And also, I've got to say, I said it last week, um, and I said old uh, uh, Geordie Walker when I was talking about um, Paul Raven. Or I said Paul Walker, didn't I? When I was talking about yeah, but yeah. Geordie Walker, the, the guitarist. Geordie Walker from Killing Joke. A lot of people talk about Jazz Coleman, as I have done. A lot of people talk about youth because, oh. you know, he's gone on to be this massive producer and he's produced all these fucking huge bands and stuff. Not many to people talk about what an innovative and incredible guitar player um, Geordie Walker is. He is an amazing guitar player. Yeah. He's got an amazing, unique style. He doesn't really riff and he doesn't really strum. He just kind of, he almost like just pushes his hand mm. through the guitar and he just sort of plays it up and just kind of scrape. He almost like, he almost plays the guitar like a violin. Mm, yeah. He plays the space quite a lot, he I does, think yeah. as well. There's the, you know, the, the silences are almost as deafening yeah. as the riffs sometimes. The way, yeah, his, yeah, his kind of picking hand, if you watch it, like some of the chords that he uses are really weird, mm. but it's that picking hand, the way he kind of, the pace in which he actually plays is very, very, very unique. Mm. And I just think that not as many people mention him as should do. Um, he's fucking brilliant. He's yeah. fucking brilliant. I think if I was to do a list of the most innovative and unique guitar players in the history of sort of alternative music, he would be in there for sure. He's fucking brilliant. What about the guitarist from Greta Van Fleet? <laughs> yeah, if I could like get a DeLorean and kill Jimmy Page, then yeah, maybe. Um, anyway, don't, and then last night... Don't do that, Steve. Well, no, Christ. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> be silly. Why would I do that? Well, just <laughs> so people like Greta Van Fleet more. What's the point of that? Um, yeah, so... Last night, sorry. Yeah. Last night, we went to see Pagan and Foxjaw at yes. the Old Blue Last. Yes, we did. Um, now we talked about You were Pagan. chiding me for not having a drink as far as I recall? I love it. Go on, tell tell the people what happened. Because last week I was mugging Renfrey off because he goes to he goes to a gig, as we all do, and had a, has a beer. I have a beer, yeah. And I have gone, oh, he's got a problem. And someone came up to you and actually took... Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, when I was down in Brighton, so I wasn't even in my home city, hometown, someone uh, came up to me apropos of nothing smiled at me put their hand on my shoulder and then uh took my beer out of my hand and it took me quite a while to figure out what the fuck was going on but this was this was because steve made an announcement last week that if you ever see me at a gig um with a beer in my hand that you should take it out of my hand mate whoever you are if ever i come down to brighton i might come down for the architect show in brighton so if you if you're there i will buy you a drink for doing that I will take Renfrew's drink out of his hand and give it to him. I'll tell you what, mate, he's in the fucking hospital now, so you can't. Uh, He's not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, I was... Police on their way around. (laughs) I was very bemused, and uh, then I laughed, and then I cried inside. And then I took back the beer and drank it and enjoyed it. Mm. Um, Please don't take drinks off of me. Uh, (laughs) Take take drinks off of me. No, don't, don't. Okay. Um, Anyway, I was so... So you didn't have a drink last night? Last night I chose not to drink, no. Um, So there you go. I had two. You did have two. I had two beers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Fuck you. You were off your I'm allowed face. to have two beers. I'm not an alcoholic. So um, we saw Pagan and Foxjaw. Foxjaw. Now, I didn't know much about Foxjaw, apart from the fact that they're a kind of Bristol... I thought they were a kind of Bristol stonery rock band. I reviewed mm, their that's EP. That's not the case, is it? Well, they're from Bristol. <laughs> okay, so it sort of is. Um, and uh, it's just the second part's not correct. Yes. Um, but I reviewed their EP for Metal Hammer, mm. right? And I gave it a pretty positive review. I thought these songs were quite good. It reminded me a bit of like a little bit of Soundgarden, a little bit of like Caius, a little bit of... Um, yeah, it, did, it reminded me more of a sort of standardy rock band. And then I saw them last night. Mm. Completely different. Yeah. And way better. Yeah. Like, they are fucking brilliant. Yeah, better than Soundgarden and Caius. That's pretty mind-blowing. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know what I, you're saying. I know no, what you're saying. I mean, the EP that reminded me of their that sort of influence. That sort of thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, as if I'm going to say they're better than Soundgarden. <laughs> um, no, they were brilliant, weren't they? Really kind of off-kilter. Um, I don't really want to use the word hardcore, because I don't think it's no, quite... No, post, it's almost like... <sighs> I still think they've got massive sort of grungy alternative riffs. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they're played like a post-hardcore band. They're yes. played like how I imagine At The Drive... It felt like if At The Drive-In were going to cover Fu Manchu. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's a good shout. Yeah. Like they're really sort of quite just rock songs, but they're played with a this sort of a bit of a wildness a and they wiry had a, kind of feels yeah. like it you know the way the post hardcore quite often feels like it's almost going to it's teetering on the edge of falling mm-hmm. apart at any moment a little bit of that and it's always quite scratchy it. isn't it yes whereas this isn't wasn't that at all no no it was fat yeah really fat I thought they were great yeah I really really liked them I thought they were the best band of the night I agree yeah yeah I agree but that's not to say that Pagan weren't good because we nope. bigged up we bigged up Pagan um, on the second episode of Right yeah. Act, to say they were one of our unsung heroes. Of they, they were, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they are very great. good. It's a really, a, really it's good. A very good album. And they, I, you know, I do get the sense that they are a, they are a good band and possibly a very good band as well. They're a very young band. I think it's worth you know pointing out. And that it just. It felt like to me, really, that they just need to, a bit more time on the road, really. I, I do think that they will get there. Um, but they were just odd. I felt like... Remind me the name of the front person. Nikki. Nikki. I thought she felt... She didn't feel very natural in between songs. It felt like a bit of a... Do you, do you agree with that? It felt um, a little... There were bits where she did, where she was like so delighted to be in the yeah, UK from I Australia think and stuff like that. she's sort of like that, to be honest. Maybe, okay. I mean, I, like, I've sp- I spoke to her on the phone. Again, mm. I did a piece on for them uh, with them in Metal Hammer. And she was really like that on the phone. Mm-hmm. So when she was like it on stage, I went, oh yeah, she's that's yeah, that's what, what she's, she's like, like on, yeah, yeah. On, in real life. Um, I think she was fucking great front person. Yeah. I think they had a load, a load of energy. Mm-hmm. The comparison that we made, and, and I think the, the obvious comparison for them, is Blood Command. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because I... <laughs> if there was a band that were as good live with the energy of Pagan and could kind of get their shit together like Pagan did, but had the songs of Blood, Blood Command, Command, I think that would be one of the best bands in the world. I saw Blood Command um, support Roland Samassi oh, no, yeah, not so said. long ago, and I do think 
I prefer Blood Command. I, I preferred the Blood Command show that I saw that night to the Pagan show I saw last night. I've, like I said, I've said a bunch of times, I've never seen Blood Command be great live. Mm, mm. And I play guitar for them, so. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I keep getting the geezer from Blood Command, Engve from Blood Command, people yeah. saying I look like. Yeah. I'll take it. Uh, He's only 24 or something, 25. It'll do. I think I think you I think you look better than him to be honest. He could he well, looks If I if I had said that. He's got the I would have seemed arrogant, wouldn't I? That's true. Yeah. He's got um the uh mustache which is often uh, associated with um adults who like very young 70s people. 70s footballers. Yes. Mark Lawrence. Yes. Mm. And and, and pedophiles. Yeah. Wow. Well, I thought that was implied. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Mark Lawrence, I don't think Mark Lawrence is a pedophile. Um, <laughs> uh, we don't know, do we? Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> That's a bit of a sour note to me. Anyway, Pagan. Um, Pagan were, were good. <laughs> yeah. I thought they were, they looked great and they, I just think like the album's good. The album's really, really fucking good. I still think the, I still think that Blood Command, Blood Command, the 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 breadth of stuff they do is wider. I will say I do I do agree that black. I don't wash, know why I keep making this comparison between the two. Of them. It's you know it's hard not. To. Every, everyone is though is and they are you know they are. It is difficult not to make the comparison. I think Blackwash is a really stellar debut album. Having said that, I do think it's a tad samey. And uh, they played for 45 minutes last night, something along those lines. And um, I was never bored, but it, it did feel a bit samey. There's a couple of like proper sort of standout tracks. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and yep. there's some that aren't quite as... I yep. mean, certainly live, I did, I agree with you. I did feel like, like when they hit, they were really good. Yeah. When they didn't, it was like, yeah, yeah, this is fine. Yeah. Which another album will sort out, I imagine, provided it's good. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and they were, they just got in, they were jet lag. So, you know, mm. also quite a hard sound to capture within such a small venue. Yeah, yeah. Old Blue Last is a tiny venue, maybe yeah. 200 cap. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's not the ideal room for them. Like you say, they, they'd they got in about two days earlier, you know, yeah. from Australia. I mean, yeah. They, and it was the first day of the tour as well. So all of these factors, it's kind of like, well, yeah, fair enough that they weren't like phenomenal, amazing. Mm. And they're all worth things pointing out. And, you know, it was a rainy Tuesday evening. It was a miserable fucking... Really horrible. Yeah, horrible. evening, Tuesday evening. Um, but it, it never... Like, the thing is, yeah, like you say, their energy was great. The sound was... I don't think the sound was bad. No. I think it was good. Um, it just for some reason it didn't translate brilliantly you know they they had a tough crowd I think they had yeah. a tough time I think a lot of people who were just sort of if free to get in so there's a lot of people who just sort of rocked up like yeah. let's see what it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. but overall they're a very good band I, th- I, 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 th- good. I, I think, think they're going to be great give them another six months and I think they'll be absolutely fine yeah basically yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but we saw them first so there you go <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I didn't know, they were Metal Hammer before us so yeah because I wrote it, so you know, <laughs> can't claim that. Anyway, um, Reading have announced some bands. Reading and Leeds. I'm not going to go into fucking Reading and Leeds too much because I'll just sound like an old person. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But it's going to be headlined by Foo Fighters, Twenty One Pilots, and the 1975 mm-hmm. Renfrew. Would you like to go to that? Nope. Okay. Um, the Distillers and Blossoms are playing there as well, and so are Bowling for Soup. <laughs> okay yeah 
Post, post, uh, post sorry, Malone. I should be saying something now. Post Malone's uh, playing as well? Right, okay. Do you know Post Malone? Uh, yes, 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 I'm aware. He's big, you know. He's, he's really very big. big. I, I'm, uh, is he second off headline? I think, he's, headline. He, I think he's actually co-headlining. With? I think with 21 Pilots. That would make sense. Yeah. There's another co-headline as well, I can't remember it. Is, uh, is it the first time 21 Pilots have headlined Reading? Yeah, chance? of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I hate that festival <laughs> now yeah, i'm not I, a fan anymore i fucking know. hate it but I, hey you know. it's not for us no it's not really for us anymore anyway i was thinking it? about this well, i'm not going to get to uh, i've moaned a lot about reading and leaves in the last couple of years i've been in the past and having had a year away i think i've sort of mellowed to it a little bit because i'm just like well fuck it there's no point moaning about it really um it's a weird thing like the kind of the attitudes towards guitar music and rock music and stuff in in the mainstream now I feel like to compare it to when we were growing up, I said last week, you know, like bands weren't allowed to like Led Zeppelin and, you know, and all that sort of, and it was mm-hmm. not cool to like music that came out kind of before Nevermind, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and it was all like, you know, burn it down and start again. But I always felt like it was, you know, it was going, we loved this and it's got really messy. It's got really up its own ass and it's got stupid and we want to burn it down so that it's not such a kind of egomaniacal, sloppy, um, self-indulgent load of shite. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like people now going on about hip-hop and EDM and stuff, and when they sort of sneer at guitar music, almost feels like they're sneering at it just because they go, oh, well, that's old. I don't think, it doesn't feel to me like there's any kind of, there's not much more thought put into it than that. When people kind of go like, oh, don't like Post Malone. Oh, it's because you're 38. And it's like, well, no, it's because he's just Ronan Keaton with a face tattoo. But the thing is, is like, I, I mean, maybe it's just the circles that I run with. And admittedly, I mainly hang out with um, other other journalists. (laughs) Yeah, well, other journalists who Mm. work on similar publications to me. But like, I never encounter anyone who's like, guitar music, ugh. I think it's like a bit of a media perception. I think it's a really lazy kind of, they look at the numbers and go, oh, well, they, they, they look at one set of numbers and that's usually singles charts, um, which, you know, rock music or metal music or whatever doesn't tend to do well in any way. And they go, oh, rock's dead, you know. And um, But the reality is, is like metal's one of the biggest genres on Spotify in terms of listeners. And but it's like all that. people listening to the Black Album. and I appreciate that. I know, I know. But, but, but the reality is metal is one of the most popular genres in terms of the amount of people who listen to it every month on Spotify every <clears throat> month. Sorry, yeah. I said that, didn't I? You know, that's, I, I mean, I do not have the figures in front of me and I'm not going to be like, it's top 10 or anything like that because I can't recall off the top of my head, but I know it is extremely popular and way more popular than a lot of people would want you to believe. You yeah. Know? As someone who's worked in the mainstream media, I have... Um, experience first heart hand how <laughs> difficult sometimes it can be to get uh less mainstream mainstream forms of music onto a mainstream platform because just because some idiot doesn't get it or something like that you know yeah. someone's just like well i don't get it so i don't think other people will and it's like well this is way bigger than you think it is so yeah. and i prove them wrong time and time and time again yeah. so you know i think I I don't know. Did I, I, I did I was there a question that you asked? Did there I? There wasn't waffle? really a question. I, I was know. just no no. It wasn't really a question. It was just like it was just a sort of 
I don't know. I think maybe that's why I've got a problem with... No, I haven't got a problem with Reading Leeds per se. That's what people like at the moment. People like rap music and mm. people like um, EDM. And, you know, when you see the reaction to gigs at Reading and then you see the reaction to Corn, mm, mm, mm. It's I don't, fucking, yeah, You know I what know. I mean? But those are the people yeah, I that think, are there. I think, Reading, I think Reading and Leeds caters to a very young market. And I think, you know, I'm 33 years old, so I don't really hang out with many people who are aged 18 to 25 or whatever. So I don't really know what they listen to, but I guess, yes, it is probably more EDM and hip hop and those kind of things. I mean, that's a massive broad generalisation, but it's it probably is. true. Yeah. Um, and But Reading and Leeds is catering to that, to be honest, very small, well, they're not a small demographic, but but um, small age range, I would say. Yeah. I'm not saying that people over 25 don't go to Reading, they clearly do. But last time I went to Reading, which was uh, two years ago, maybe three, two, two three years ago, um, I felt really fucking old. Oh and my I was God, yeah, me too. 30 yeah, at the time. Yeah, I didn't I go last felt year ancient yeah 2016 2017 i went and both times i was like oh god it's a very very young crowd my friend ross had a fucking he had a great like thing that i'd never heard never thought of before he was like when we were growing up in the 90s (laughs) um you would buy your reading ticket on the day from the box office. You go up on a Thursday and you buy a ticket. And all the kind of grebes, as he mm, put it, mm. would buy it from the box office on the day. Mm-hmm. The year Rage Against the Machine reformed in 2008, mm. that is the year that he pinpoints where Reading and Leeds changed their focus because you couldn't buy a ticket on the day. So they started going, okay, rather than us relying on a bunch of like metalheads and rock fans who just fucking turn up on the day and buy their tickets we're going to start thinking about how do we get college leavers and people that are just about to go back to university and you know and and people who've just done their GCSEs or just about to get their GCSEs how do we target those people and he was he said I think that's the moment where Reading and Leeds went from being a rock festival to being just a young person's festival that's what he thinks maybe it's, it's because you, you plan for that as when, yeah. you're, when you're getting your GCSEs or when you're going you finish college or when you know you look at that August bank holiday is the last and you plan for it mm. whereas you look at the Reading lineups of, of old mm. and you think well you'd go to that whenever wouldn't you you'd do but, that and, and it's like sort of become like the last hurrah of that and I think it kind of always was a bit but I, it was an interesting thing I'd never ever thought of it and he's a gig promoter as well so he was like right. yeah you'd be surprised how we how people think in, in those sort of terms the, but, but there was a period where Reading and Leeds was selling out every year, though, yeah, wasn't there? Yeah, and that was the thing. I, th- I think, like, once they started doing, once they started doing that, mm. that's when they start. You know, once they started going, you'll only be able to get tickets in advance. Mm. That's when it started selling out, and that's when it started changing, like slowly, kind of morphing, or not even that slowly. It happened pretty quickly when you think about it. Yeah, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. I remember going to Leeds. <clears throat> Uh, 2002 on the Friday because I was desperate to see um, Guns N' Roses. Uh, Dillinger? 
um, I think I missed Dillinger that day, and at that point, I wouldn't have been a fan. I don't right. think. Okay. Um, but um, I can't remember if I saw Dillinger or not. But um, you went at Leeds, got Guns and Roses, <laughs> and we got fucking Razor Speed on. What kind of trade off is that? <laughs> well, it was Forefinger like again. It, <laughs> it was Prodigy headlining, wasn't it? Yeah, and we got like a seventy-five minute Prodigy set, and then Guns and Roses came on at fucking god midnight or something mm. although it was one of the best sets i've ever seen but um i remember just walking up to the gate i think it was like a terrapin at the time and buying a ticket a day ticket for 40 pounds i know on the day times have changed renfrey they times bloody changed. changed so anyway that's reading um slam dunk now you would again you'd think slam dunk would be more of a younger person's festival but they've announced some pretty um uh, pretty friendly bands for us. So Glass- Slam Dunk have stunned me with this announcement. I will say that much. Check this out: Glassjaw, Turnstile, Turnstile, quite a young band, so that's fine. But Menzingers, yeah, again, saves the day. Mm-hmm. The Get Up Kids. Mm-hmm. <sighs> um, what do you reckon of that? I think it's brilliant. It's fucking great. Yeah, I, like so. Uh, look again. You know, gotta be honest. I am not a fan of Slam Dunk. I've been. Uh, when did we go there? Two years ago, something like that. You went last. Yeah, time, didn't you? I, the, with the new site, it's great. Okay. The new site's fucking great, man. Good in uh, in this is in Hatfield. I'm genuinely glad to hear that um, because I thought the old site was awful, and I couldn't yeah, believe that they kept <clears throat> going back to the same place again and again and again. A lot of people have moaned whilst they have got a new site they've, um, in Hatfield. They've got a new site in Leeds as well now, but they've got rid of the Birmingham one completely do you know about this uh have they not moved it somewhere else completely? nope it's just gone there's just it's just gone there's now two there's now two slam dunks rather than okay. three and a lot of people moaned about that and you know if you're in the midlands quite rightly but yeah. also also the general consensus and i do have to go from consensus here because i would never been but the general consensus was the birmingham site was the best one so they just seem to get rid of the best one um, I'm sure there are decent reasons behind the scenes for that, but I don't know. I don't know what they are. Um, but le- funnily enough, the Leeds one takes place at the Leeds Festival site now. Oh, uh, does it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but Slam Dunk usually don't deal with bands that we would talk about, really, let's be fair. I don't know, there's always a handful. There's always a handful. You know, last year there was, or this year I should say, Frank Carter, mm-hmm. um, Comeback Kids, Loathe. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I die, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's, there's always, always I agree there's always a handful, but we are usually talking half a dozen bands. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I think that's there was quite one fair. year where the Signature Brew stage was fucking brilliant when they had the Bronx. That was two years ago when me, I went. Yeah, Puppy, yeah. Milk Teeth, Sorority Noise. Yeah, it was really good. That was the one and only time that um, I felt like it was vaguely worth going to Slam Dunk because there was actually a whole day that had music that I liked and it actually just happened to work out quite well in terms of the timing yeah. and the structure and stuff. Um, but look, this, this announcement is really fucking good. And I, actually, I will say as well, again, not a band that either of us like, but they've also booked Bullet For My Valentine as a headliner. Yeah. Which is... Um, Funny. <laughs> I think it's good. I could, could not give a toss about Bullet Simple For My plan Valentine. Simple plan as well, by the way. Are they? Uh, Um, I don't give a toss about Bullet for My Valentine, but I think it's a better move than getting, I don't know, um, Mallory Knox or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think Bullet for My Valentine are 
significantly bigger than Mallory Knox. It's, oh, nowadays, yeah, but Mallory Knox have headlined yeah, Sandberg yeah, in the past. Have, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting in terms of a kind of having to eat my words sort of that's thing. That's funny you having bullet, isn't it, actually? It, yeah, exactly. But that's that's my point. It, it is an odd... There are... I've not listened to the new Bullet from a Valentine record, so I don't know. Uh, but I've, I understand that it's um, very, very, like, radio rocky. Rather well, than supposedly metal. it's very Bring Me the Horizon, who are probably the band that they wanted to get. But I imagine Bring Me will probably do something with Reading. Yeah. Although, actually, the, well, maybe not. They will. No, actually, yeah. Um, I've, I've heard a rumour... Um, which is out in the in the internet. It's not from anyone in the music industry that they're going to be doing their own outdoor show in the summer, mm. which I would imagine like Finsbury Park or something they might do. Who knows? Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean that'd be good. Mm. I really like both the two new Bring Me the Horizon songs. I think they're both yeah. fucking wicked. Okay. Yeah. And I don't like that spirit at all, but I think those songs are fucking great. Be Danny Phil's on one of them. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be interesting when that record comes in. <laughs> Danny Filth. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's on it for about two seconds. So, Danny Filth, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I peed next to him once. Huh? I peed next to him once. In the Probably toilet. peed above him. Yeah, <laughs> he is Not really short. He's really short. Christ. Anyway, we've gone from talking about Slam Dunk to talking about Danny Filth. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well done, yeah, Slam Dunk. Yeah, that little, little Fair play. block of bands is, is really yeah. good. And yeah, that's um, cool. yeah, just any, I'd rather think about Danny Filth pissing than think about watching <laughs> Bullet for My Valentine. Tell you what, get Thrice on there. Make it like, could turn it into Heavy Fest again. Yeah, yeah. Get yeah. the chariot to reform. <laughs> yeah, yes, fucking good, yeah. please. Um, last bit of news that I was going to talk about. Mm-hmm. So a couple of days after we recorded last week, Scuzz TV closed down. Yeah. Now, we were just talking about Reading and Leeds and how the perception of what rock music is to people outside of the walls of rock and, and metal and, mm-hmm. and alternative music is. Um, I mean, on one hand, I'm not sure how much people watch music television at all these days i mean i'm just not really sure if they do well that uh, might, might be the reason why they shut and down yeah actually. that might be we don't really we know, don't like honest. i have absolutely no idea whatsoever yeah. um <clears throat> but uh there's no doubt that scuzz tv was a pretty massive thing for a little while mm-hmm. for getting people into bands and for playing people's videos for the first time i know they said that you know enter shikari was saying it's the first time they'd ever been playing on tv was first time scuzz. uh first time i even heard of Enter Shikari was because of Scuzz? I think the first time I ever flicked on Scuzz, uh, I saw Alexis on Fire. It was the first right. time I'd ever even heard of that band. Mm. Um, mm. So they've done some cool things. Yeah. And not just in terms of like playing music, but actually they're one of the few, because I mean, Kerrang TV, I used to watch Kerrang TV or MTV2 or whatever, but there was rarely any kind of content on there mm-hmm. where Scuzz actually did do that. I mean, you can go onto YouTube and watch um the the some of the scuzz meets interviews that mm-hmm. are fucking amazing mm-hmm. like some of the best interviews that you will watch with um with with some massive massive bands that yeah. you just you know like whole kind of hour-long interviews with really really massive bands they, I mean, they, not no one's ever really dedicated that much time to doing something like that well, really like, ever i think they wanted to go back to the mtv model when mtv was actually music television yeah rather than whatever the hell mtv is now i'm not even sure to be honest um but you know because they had like headbangers ball and all that kind of thing on mtv well yeah. back and they were actually trying to make programs which were dedicated to 
music you know mm. which is what music television should be of yeah. some kind um and you know they were hit and miss undoubtedly they they produced some brilliant stuff and they produced some you know not so great stuff <laughs> but the fact that they were attempting to yeah, do yeah. it well my mate great um, thing. who hopefully will come on like matt stocks has been doing it for the last few years yeah matt's um so i don't know well, maybe we'll get matt on and get him to get his um his thoughts on it because matt's fucking awesome but i think mm. it was um yeah it was odd for me to see matt kind of interviewing people like all-time low mm-hmm. that i know he doesn't really mm-hmm. sort of vibe mm-hmm. with you know mm-hmm. what i mean so um i, I think, think they, their focus changed a little bit and well this is the thing when you move things to telly you get so many i'm saying this like i know like i've been on telly much but um you get so many people involved in what you're doing i think you can lose sight of i think it's very difficult to work in television basically i think it's really really hard i think things can get watered down to a ridiculous degree but to give scuzz credit when they got it right they really got it right stuff like a blood you know like two hour long shows with dan p carter interviewing the band Mm -hmm. of bloodstock Mm -hmm. you know decapitated getting interviewed Mm -hmm. on uh, you know hate breed and decapitated and emperor and bands like that getting interviewed on on an actual yeah television terrestrial television channel like yeah. that that is that is fucking great i remember I, mean? I remember when i was younger getting like really annoyed that do you remember the vh1 behind the scenes programs and yeah. stuff like that you know i'd hear that vh1 behind the scenes had done something on metallica or green day or pearl jam or whatever and i'd be so jealous that there was absolutely no fucking way in hell that i would be able to ever see that unless i was like in america at this time that they happened yeah. to be airing you know um and to be honest with you like i have actually now that we have the internet i have seen those programs and most of them are dog shit yeah but, oh, the pan- uh, you've seen the pantera one it's terrible uh, oh, i probably have at some yeah, point it's really bad um but but the fact that scuzz were trying to do stuff like that but of a better quality i think they're the only kind of uk based music company who were trying to do that for alternative music i guess there was a little bit of that with mtv2 but even mtv2 really was just playing alternative music yeah. they weren't really making content were they yeah so. yeah so it, I, I think it's a shame i think it's a shame that it's uh um something that our scene is sort of lost to be honest, I think it is a shame. And I said, I, I, I actually, know. I went for, I went I th- for, went for an audition to, um, to be on Scuzz. Oh, did you? And Matt got it, oh, not no. me. See if you did. Bad choice, boys. <laughs> it's coming back I, to I, bite you on the ass I now, think, isn't it? I definitely think it is sad that Scuzz has gone. And I'm not gonna, you know, say that it's not. But will that stuff go? I think it'll just move to the internet where everything is now and yeah, it'll become maybe, more yeah. independent i'm and, sure it will yeah and it, there will be good things about that and there will be bad things about that but you know i don't think it'll disappear mm. it's like people who say print's going to disappear it's like it's not going to disappear it's print print oh right i thought you meant print i was like i hate to break it to you Renfrey. <laughs> print has disappeared <laughs> as in uh print magazines you know like yes they, the purple man they not the purple man no, no not the symbol Rest in peace. um they they're just they are dissipating and they are you know there's not going to be as many of them but they're just changing they're not you know it's just changing it's not but yeah but anyway there you go I guess an end of an era for Scuzz TV yeah. and it's yeah it's, it's, it's always a shame to see stuff like that happen um, right okay last week on the trade off you gave me Kitsune 
I think it's Kitsune, but it might be Kitsune. Kitsune. So. Okay. I th- okay, Kitsune by Marriages featuring mm-hmm. Emma Ruth Rundle. Yes. And I gave you Gravity Kills. By Gravity by Kills. By Gravity Kills. Which one of us should start this week? Um, um, shall we go with Gravity Kills first? Let's because... go with Gravity Kills first. So, yeah. yes. Yeah. Gravity Kills from 1990-1996. It's not <laughs> happened yet. It's from the future. Yes, uh, from 1996. Right. Um, is it's a like Demolition Man or something. Yeah, yeah, debut record from Gravity Kills. Renfrey, now... I bought this album when it came out. Mm-hmm. I hadn't listened to it for a long time. I listened to it again recently. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think this band have heard Pretty Hate Machine? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think they have too. I, I think they have. Um, yeah, the Nine Inch Nails influences are quite staggering. They're all over the place on this record. It's um, It was on TVT. This was released on TVT Records, which is what Pretty Hate Machine yep. was released on they're as well. Desperately trying to claw some, because like, obviously <laughs> he wanted off of that straight away, didn't he? And they were like, oh no! Uh, Trent Reznor did, didn't Yeah, he? Reznor. Yes, like, yes, he, yes. Yeah, yeah. So he so wanted he off. Nothing yeah, he wanted off and, and then he got massive and mm. they were just like, oh God, get another one, quick! <laughs> then, those guys over there, that one with the bleach blonde hair and the keyboard, get him, quick! Uh, so yes, um, it was released in TBT. There are um, the Nine Inch Nails comparisons are uh, just I defy anyone who is aware of Nine Inch Nails to particularly Downward Spiral and Pretty Hate Machine to listen to this album and not be able to make comparisons. It's ridiculous, really. Um, when the first song proper came in, what's it called? I think it's just called Gravity, isn't it? Yeah. Um, when that came in, I had a faint whiff of recognition. I was like, what is this? Um, I actually recognised it and I did a little bit of a Google search and I actually found out that it's used in a video game from yeah. 2000, Vampire the Masquerade. Mm, role-playing game about being a vampire, roaming the streets, looking for blood. Perfect. Um, but it's basically... I mean, that's basically Blade, the video game. And that's exactly what this is, isn't it? It's like it's like music to um, soundtrack that first scene in the, the original Blade where, you know, the blood disco. Yeah. Um, it's gothy, tinged, kind of industrial stuff, which sounds like Nine Inch Nails, but isn't as good. <laughs> exactly right. Haven't I, I mean, just you, you know, summed it up? Yeah. The, the Nine Inch Nails are one of the, the you know, or certainly after Diamond Spiral, headlining Woodstock like one of the biggest fucking bands in the entire world and of yeah. course of course you know like everything that happens every band that has ever been big whether we're talking about Greta Van Fleet or mm. fucking Spineshank or you know Bush or mm. you know like whoever whoever you want to name from whatever subgenre, there were copycat bands that came along later Gravity Kills for me sit somewhere on the quality scale between if you've got Nine Inch Nails there's a sliding scale between Nine Inch Nails at the top and Orgy at the bottom. <laughs> and Gravity Kills sits somewhere between Orgy and Filter, I think. Uh, as in Filter are better than Gravity Kills? I think Filter are better than Gravity Kills. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I agree. But I actually, although this album is, maybe it's because I bought it in college and I didn't know that much of Nine Inch Nails stuff mm-hmm, at the mm-hmm, time mm-hmm. and because they supported Skunk and Ancy and yep. the Stereophonics were on in between they were, the, they were the filling in the Stereophonics Skunk and Ancy sandwich yep, yep, on yep. the Stoosh tour I have a really like warm fuzzy nostalgic feeling for this record it's like watching Short Circuit for me <laughs> and being like I can see that this is bollocks but yeah. I kind of like it I, I you know what man it's not an 
awful record by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's not like Clawfinger, is it's it? It's not Clawfinger, no, absolutely not. Um, but it's it, not very good. It's it's not brilliant. Um, but but and I you know I think you're aware of this. I think it is purely nostalgia that, that yeah. you are oh, yeah, loving yeah, yeah, from yeah, it, yeah. and that's fine. There's fuck all wrong with that. You know, I watch Short Circuit occasionally as well. Um, it's you know. really racist. That guy's white. Oh my god! I that is unbelievable. It's unbelievable that they. Um, Brown up is that the expression? I apologise if that's. <laughs> There's a white man playing a, a, an Indian fella. Yeah, and being yeah. very, very Indian as well. Uh, oh, he does it. He comes back in Short Circuit too and does it as well. He's the lead character in Short Circuit too. <laughs> I know, insane. The eighties, eh? Crazy. <laughs> yeah, you mad racist bastards. <laughs> um, there's uh, very little racism, if any at all, on Gravity Kills. Um, but it's. Uh, I don't think there's any racism. No. Um, but yeah, the Short Circuit. Comp- Comparison's quite good in that, you know, if you showed someone short circuit afresh now, they'd be like, "Yeah, this is um, shit mm. and racist." Mm. And uh, if you show Gravity Kills now, they'd be like, "This sounds a lot like Nine Inch Nails, but not as good." Yeah. Um, but no, man, it's it's, it's fine. It's what's, fine. What's your favourite song on it? Is it? It's not enough. Broken it too. It's not enough. Making me move. That one. <laughs> it kind of was gravity because I recognised it oh, and right. it reminded me of playing a video you've, game that I enjoyed. Yeah. Um, you've not invested heavily enough in this album at all, have you? Just the first song that you knew a bit and you went, yeah, this is a masterpiece, Renfrey. And you just be, your blinkered view of it is distorted. <laughs> I mean, I listened to it a couple of times. It did, it did go into the background a little bit. I have to say, it's quite samey. It's very slime like. Let's face it, it really is. It's a funny little thing, and it's the thing is, is the reason I picked it and why I think it would be funny is because I like the idea of some of our younger listeners going, "I'm going to listen to that." And listen to it and go in, yeah. what is this? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, what even is this? What should we say? If you're below 27? 20... <laughs> no, I was going to say, if you're if you're below 28, maybe, 27. Yeah. Um, give Gravity Kills a spin and then uh, contact us on Twitter and let us know what the fuck you think of it. Because yeah, um, um, it'd be so really intrigued. intriguing. So intrigued to see what somebody that age um, yeah. thought of it. So anyway, that's uh, Gravity Kills by Gravity Kills. That was a, just a really random pick of mine. I didn't put much thought into it. Was it was very just, random. Yeah, just yeah. put it on and I was like, oh yeah. Um, anyway, Marriages, Kitsune. Mm-hmm. It's an EP. It is an EP. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's six songs, 26 minutes. Featuring Emma Ruth Rundle, who we've been chatting about a fair old bit on this podcast. It's Emma Ruth Rundle's band, basically. Emma Ruth Rundle's band, she fronts it. Um, It is definitely different to her solo material. I think it's heavier. Mm -hmm. It sounds more like a band. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's entirely built around Emma's voice, Mm -hmm. which is a bit of a shame. I'm sort of torn on it, really. I don't know if I... I, again, I have to say, I, I really, I think this is very, very good. Yeah, cool. I think this good. is very good. Um, I particularly like the run from um, Ten Tiny Fingers into into Petite, which is amazing. Yeah. Which goes in so many different directions. Like, um, Ten Tiny Fingers is proper spooky, but mm. gets really heavy. And mm. then it goes into this kind of electro throb, mm-hmm. um, which is almost not even really a song, is it? It's almost like a kind of... Uh, 
an interlude of interlude sorts, of sorts. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit too long yeah. to be just an interlude but it's mm. a sort of um, instrumental track and it's mm. really 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 good so I think in terms of the breadth of sonically what they do as a group I think it's wider than Emma Ruth Rundle's solo definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. but I don't think I think Emma can utilise her voice which is for all that's good about this I think she sounds great on it, but she never sounds as great as she does on her solo records. Mm-hmm. I think that this is more of a band where every part is equal. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think her solo material is her. Yeah. I mean, that that's totally accurate. Yeah, 100%. Mm. This is, um, I don't, it's not the first record she sang on because um, she was also in a band called The Nocturnes where she did some um, singing bits and pieces. But, you yeah. know, obviously she was less confident with her voice at this point and so on and so forth and and this this ep it, all the songs run in together so you can kind of view it as one long son- song if you want to you know yeah you could yeah um and um flow is lovely lovely flow flows p- perfectly it's brilliant yeah, and, and mastering on it and the production mm-hmm. is it's, it's is, insane it's really isn't it yeah, yeah 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 it's insane and um uh very shoegazy like even more shoegaze elements than um Emma's uh, solo stuff, which has quite a bit of shoegaze in it. Mm. She, in an interview recently, um, she stated that Siamese, Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream is her favourite album of all, like, well, is the album that made her pick up a guitar. And that makes complete sense when you listen to Marriages, I think, just in terms of the big fuzz and the wash of reverb and all that kind of thing. You know, the My Bloody Valentine-esqueness yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love them. I have to say marriages, I adore Emma's solo work. And I think just like you've pointed out, they both have their pros and their, I don't even want to say cons, but they have, they, the the things that you said about marriages are better about marriages, but then the things, you know, in terms of like the songs centering around her voice and being more personal and so on and so forth. That's why there's Emma Ruth Rundle, you know, Mm. there's place for both, but I just, I just think marriages is probably probably just because it was the first stuff I heard of hers is probably my yeah. my go-to. Um, that's a tough one. Oh, what's better? They're both really good. Yeah, they're both I mean, like I say, there is a place for both. Yeah. I think yeah. Marriages is more kind of musically impressive, if, if you like. I don't yeah. really like to say impressive, but it's more music. Like I say, I think his musically has more... Not even depth. Depth isn't isn't the right word. Scope. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, But I actually, I think I would rather listen to... It depends on my mood, but I think I would probably usually prefer to listen to um, her solo material because it's so raw and it's so personal and it's yeah. it, it feels much more like a labour of love. Not that this, this doesn't not feel like mm. it comes from a real place or mm-hmm. by any... Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want people to think that... But it definitely, her solo material is so personal mm, mm. and it's so honest and it's so like, she's so laid bare on, on, on those songs that I, I actually, I'm, I'm always more, I'm always more interested in that. Yeah, fair. That's totally in fair. In art, yeah. you know what I mean? I, I don't think one's better than the other. I think no, no, I, I don't. I just you think know, that, so. yeah, yeah, you know. I, I like. think they're both brilliant. Yeah, but, um, they are. Very yeah. good. So yeah, that was really good. Certainly better than Gravity Kills. That's for sure. <laughs> um, right, Renfrey. Next week. Now, next week, I am going to give you, and I know you haven't heard this. Yeah. 
I'm going to give you a legitimate classic record. A record that a lot of people listening will go, fuck me, how have you not heard that? That is an actual proper classic. Mm-hmm. Copper Blue by Sugar. By Sugar? Yeah. Okay, Copper Bob Blue. Bob Mould, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. By Sugar. Oh, Most yeah. people will know... I think the majority of people listening will probably be like, fucking hell, brilliant. Were you listening to this earlier today? I think I saw I you was, tweeting mate. Yeah, about I was, it. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah, I wanted to give you... Some, do you know what? I wanted to give you something from the 80s. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to give you something that was a bit more... I've given you a lot of like metal and industrial stuff and mm. like sort of shitty stuff as well. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I thought I want to give you something that is a bit more... Um, indie and I was sort of looking through the the Alan McGee I wanted, I was, I wanted to talk about Alan McGee maybe we will talk about okay, Alan McGee okay. but, um, but then I started listening to Copper Blue for the first time in fucking forever mm. and I was like I wonder if Renfrey's heard this because mm. if you haven't I haven't no. okay cool okay um, sort of based on stuff that we're doing this week um, but also for reasons which we'll get into more next week I think um, I would like to make make you listen to another Smashing Pumpkins album, Steve. Okay. Uh, and I would like you to listen to Oceania, which I think is the 2012 album. It's a Pumpkins album which uh, doesn't have James E. Hart or Jimmy Chamberlain or Darcy on it. Um, so it's one of the, I would almost say, lost Pumpkins albums because a lot of people just ignored their... I did. Yes, a lot of people just ignore that material at yeah. that point. Some of it was definitely worth ignoring. Some of it was definitely not. Okay, all right. So next week, I'm going to be listening to Oceana by the Smashing Pumpkins. You're going to listen to Copper Blue by Sugar. Cool. Sweet. And speaking of the Smashing Pumpkins, that's where we're going to start with our reviews. Shiny and Oh So Bright Volume 1, the return of the original smashing pumpkins you haven't done the whole title there have i not nope shiny and oh so bright volume one no past no future no sun yeah i think that title is longer than the album (laughs) Uh, yeah well we'll get to that so it's the original smashing pumpkins renfrey shh shh don't mention darcy (laughs) (laughs) um yes the original smashing pumpkins of sorts of sorts, yeah. Uh, first reference Three quarters since, of Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. You know, it's definitely worth mentioning. Yeah, of course. Um, Monuments to an Elegy was the... The last... The last one. Smashing, Smashing Pumpkins, Pumpkins. Well, album. I just did lots of big quotation marks. Yeah, there. yeah. Um, which came out in 2014, I believe. 15. Let's go with that. Mm, pretty sure. I think 15, but it's fine. I think, yeah, do you know what? I think it came out in 2015 and I got it in 2014 because that's when <laughs> I interviewed Billy Corgan. Oh, him. yes. And yeah. spoke to him about cats. cats. That's right, yes. Good times. <laughs> um, so, that album has got a couple of really good songs on it. Yes. Monuments to, the, to an Tiberius uh, and another one which I can't remember the name of. Uh, there's one called Wind Missing. Oh, fucking hell. Being Beige. Being Beige. Yes, Being Beige. It's, yes, it's that's it. Really, really good song. Yes. Um, but then the rest of it was a bit... Yeah, pretty yeah. crap, yeah. to be honest. So... You either go in to this new Smashing Pumpkins album going very much like we said at Wembley. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter about the rest of the band. It's Billy Corgan. Mm-hmm. I think at this point, it's Billy Corgan and you just have to kind of accept it. I wonder how much influence 
Uh, certainly James Ihar. I mean, mm. we'll, we'll probably talk about Jimmy Chamberlain as the review mm-hmm. goes on. Um, but you wonder how much say and how much influence they get to have at this point um, on Smashing Pumpkins' new material. So there are two schools of thought about going in on this album. You either go, well, it's going to be another Billy Corgan project and he's in charge now, he's the boss man, He, you do exactly what he says. Mm. Or you go... This is as close to the original Smashing Pumpkins as we have had for a very, very long time. Ergo, I cannot help myself but feel a shudder of anticipation at what might be because mm-hmm. they have a back catalogue. These people that created music together have created some of the best music ever made. Mm-hmm. So, Well, let's hypothetically go down Route 1 for a moment here yep. and say that this is a Billy, Co- uh, Billy Corgan solo expedition effectively hypothetically what would be the point in bringing the band back together let's say you are playing Wembley Arena rather than Coco yes Coco was a small show yeah, for them but, but rather, rather Brixton. than Brixton let's say okay. yeah so so you're playing a 12,000 seater rather than a 5,000 seater it makes people go ah remember the Smashing yeah. Pumpkins yeah. Yeah. yeah okay I mean that yeah. could be it yeah, yeah. Um, that's if if you were thinking that hypothetically about that being the case but they're not... I mean, where do you sit? I think um, that's somewhat my worry. Um, let's, let's, let's get into this a little deeper, though, before fully going in on that. I think um, I had very mixed expectations. When uh, the Pumpkins announced that they were reforming, I got insanely excited. You did. And then a few weeks ago four or five weeks ago now we reviewed that Wembley show we talked about it for a long time yeah um and people probably know by now that we it wasn't bad it wasn't a terrible show but then but there were lots of things that were not severely wrong that were severely wrong with it and uh it was one of the most bizarre shows I've seen of the year certainly Uh maybe of the decade (laughs) um and uh that tempered my expectations so i went from being extraordinarily excited to let's just calm down a little bit um i think in reality i've hit somewhere in the middle in terms of whether i you know how much i like this album um i think it has really good bits and i also think it has a couple of really good songs I think overall, though, the Smashing Pumpkins... So hearing that the Pumpkins were going to get back together, you know, I'm not... I don't want Billy Corgan and the and James Ehar and Jimmy Chamberlain to recreate what they've done in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want them to make Siamese Dream Part 2. But something that I love about Pumpkins is how expansive and how grandiose they made alternative music. And they were the first band really to do that. And they were doing it at a time where nirvana were the coolest thing ever you know and the the everyone else is going in the opposite direction of that you know yeah i mean siamese dream came out in 1993 and it's absolutely peppered with guitar solos it's ridiculous and brilliant guitar solos as well yeah um and something that i adore about pumpkins is that grandiose big you know there was always an epic on their albums whether it was silver fuck on siamese dream or glass and the ghost children on machina or for martha on a door or you know there was a couple on melancholy like xy and stuff like that and um what in in a in a bit of a turnaround from how i normally am 
rather than complaining that an album is too long, what we have with this new Smashing Pumpkins album is the shortest album they've ever released. Yep. Uh, Eight songs, 32 minutes. Eight songs, just shy of 32 minutes. And really, my feeling after listening to it was, is that it? After all this time, after all, you know, 18 years, you've been trying to get... uh, a, you know a semblance of the original lineup back together let's not forget that the the original pumpkins lineup were only together for about 10 i think it was 11 actually yeah but so for almost double that time you've been trying to get them back together and we get 30 minutes of some quite some pretty good stuff some meh stuff it's a bit all over the place. I, I'm sensing you have a different opinion in mm. terms of the quality of the records. I have a different opinion uh, of pretty much everything you said. I've oh, cool. Noticed. Okay. All right. Yeah. To be honest, I have. Um, go. Go, go, go. I, I think this is really good. Oh, fuck. Wow. I really like it. Really? Yeah. Oh. I'm surprised at how much I like it. Oh, cool. Um, I think it's a very, very Smashing Pumpkins thing to do. It's so Smashing Pumpkins, a thing to release a 32-minute lot, to wait, like you say, to wait that long. Yeah. And then give you an eight-track album. Yeah. Which they've never done before. I think it's a very Billy Corgan thing. Yeah, to do. yeah, 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 yeah. I don't okay. think it's a very Smashing Pumpkins thing to do. I think it's a very Billy Corgan thing it to do. It is a very yeah. Billy Corgan thing to do. But yeah. do you know what? I think it kind of works. Because I don't think it doesn't work. I think I think maybe just as a bigger fan, I I, I wanted a lot more personally. Yeah, but Okay, so here's what I think. I think it's funny because it opens with such a weird song. Knights of Malta? Yeah. Okay, in, in what might be another um, uh, difference of opinion, Knights of Malta is by far my favourite track on the record. Is it? Really? Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, that's cool. But I think yeah. it's a, a very strange opening song it's for what people, for what your a, a layman Smashing Pumpkins fan yeah. would hear that and go, what is this? It's and lit- I think it's cool. I think it's great. Well, the yeah. reason I think it's great is because the Pumpkins have never done anything like it before. Um, and also, um, it is grandiose. Uh, an epic. There are uh, 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 gospel singers on it. Yeah, you know when the gospel singers come in, I'm just like fucking yes. Yeah, and these huge strings and like you know it, it's reminiscent of tonight tonight. It's, it is. It's, it's not copying tonight tonight, no. but but in that grandiose sense and stuff like that. Um, I have to say, when I first heard Billy Corgan's Whoa, uh, yeah, uh, I, refrain, I, I was always like head in my hands. But as the song goes on, it gets mm. so much better and you kind of get used to that. I didn't like it the first time I heard it. And yes. then within the context of the record, I actually think it's really good. I agree. It's a really interesting that they would... It's ballsy as fuck to put that as the opening track. <laughs> Massively yeah. ballsy as fuck because yeah. that is not what you would associate. You know, when you think of... 1979 or when you think of like any of the like bullet with butterfly wings or whatever you think of their big big songs it's not like any of them it's not yeah it's not like as a as a a massive fan of the pumpkins as a whole Mm. i don't i can't really recall a song that they have made that's like it before no off the top of my head tonight tonight's the closest i can get and that's not really accurate so And, and then i think um uh silvery sometimes is like a cool kind of it sounds like a smashing pumpkin single yeah um, better on record than yeah uh, definitely uh, better yeah, again yeah. better on record like it seems kind of quite kind of bog standardy smashing pumpkins i think yeah um was that the one they did that was the they one did that they did that. Yeah, 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 yeah yeah they did um i think travels is the best song on the album for me 
I think it's Ooh. fucking brilliant. I think that is a fucking beautiful song. That okay. is it's weird because um mm. that's uh not normally my favourite bits of Smash you know, I do like Smashing Pumpkins to go all kind of flangy and wow wah and screaming. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's sort of my but that's not that at all. It's no, much more of the sort of Absolutely stuff. not. And I I think it's a fucking great song. Mm. I really love Solara as well. I think the I think this album starts so strongly. You've got four very different sounding songs that are all brilliant. Solara, I mean we're mm. gonna talk about Jimmy Chamberlain. When I say I don't think James Ahar, you could listen to this and go, is James Ahar doing Anything, James yeah, I doing yeah, anything yeah, really yeah, not? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But Jimmy Chamberlain goes, You ain't ignoring me on that song. On well, here's another one of my minor beefs. On Solara, absolutely he does. Yeah. But Jimmy Chamberlain, in my opinion, I would actually probably say he's my favourite drummer of the nineties. Yeah. It's like between him, Jed Simon and Dave Grohl. And uh Not Danny Carey? Oh, that's a fair shout. Yeah. All right, we'll have this discussion yeah, another time. Okay. Um and um Jimmy Chamberlain is, is, but he's phenomenal, right? Mm -hmm. He's a phenomenal drummer, end of. And um, considering he's now back in the band, I'm stunned at how, with the exception of Solara, yeah, Solara, which which is a brilliant song and he's exceptional on it. I'm stunned at how underused Jimmy Chamberlain is considering his amazing abilities. It's funny because I was listening to it with a mate of mine who's a big Smashing Pumpkins fan and he was listening, he listened to that song and he was like, it's too much. It's too <laughs> much Jimmy Chamberlain. He's like, it's just, like, it feels like it's Jimmy Chamberlain's so, like he hates kind of, right. the, he hates all the sort of solos and all yeah, that. Like, yeah, we were saying about Greta Van Fleet. He's yeah, like, it just yeah, sounds yeah. like a fucking drum solo. And I think obviously that's not true. But like... I would only say that if, if he was doing it all over the album. Yeah. I think for that song it works. Yeah, yeah, me too. And it, you know, because that, that song really kind of holds back and lets him fucking go mental. Yeah. And there's a few little fills that are absolutely incredible. Oh, ridiculous. Um, and I, you know, and, and I think that's great. So the first, I'm going four for four on the first four songs. I don't care for Alienation very much. Mm-hmm. I think it's very difficult, even though it's not, it's a bit sleazy and it's kind of a bit cheesy. I think Marching On is a you know a two and a half minute long rocker right. in it yeah it's, and right. got, it's hard not to just get some sort of enjoyment out of that mm-hmm. i think with sympathy is pretty average i think seeking you shall destroy is a pretty decent again fast nasty way to end the record kind of just ends though doesn't it it does kind of just end so but like, again very billy corgan and i actually think in terms of going what's on here and what do i like mm-hmm. i I like, I really like six of the seven songs. I don't mind one of them and I'm not, I'm not fussed by the other. Hmm. So I think overall, it's, it's rather that than have the 15 track King at, like when I think about their peers mm-hmm. and what their peers have released, this is better than the last two Alice in Chains records for me. This is better than, the, than King Animal by Soundgarden. This is better than the last two Foo Fighters. I mean, it might be better than fucking any Foo Fighters album, but then I don't like the Foo Fighters. But um, it's certainly better than the last two Foo Fighters records. I think, for th- you know, they've given you eight songs. They've given you brevity. They haven't... The thing with these bands is I'm always worried that they're going to go, oh, we can do the thing that we used to do and just and then spunk it. Whereas I think what Smashing Pumpkins seem to have done mm. has gone... We're not as good as we used to be. We're not as vital. We're not as expansive. We're not as brave. We're not as this. We're not as that. 
we can do 32 minutes of good music that, that you'll want to listen to again. Because mm. I will listen to this album again, definitely. I will as well. Whereas um, I, I won't ever listen to King Animal. I, I, so all the albums you just... Alice in Chains, Soundgarden... Um, Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters. I think... Even, even the last Pearl Jam, maybe? Last, last Pearl Jam's not great. Yeah. Um, I think I do prefer all those records to this new Pumpkins album. You prefer King Animal by Soundgarden to this? I quite. I think King Animal's pretty... pretty. Rainier Fog is the only one that I'm like, mm, I'm not sure. You can't prefer Sonic Highways to this, uh, Sonic Highways, no. You no. can't prefer, like, Concrete and Gold, that last boring last Foo Fighters I, record? The first half of that record's great. Second half's not good. But I, but I think this new Smashing Pumpkins album is better than I, fucking any I mean, apart you, from uh, that one Wasting Light I think they're better than any of the post the first two Foo Fighters albums I think okay. but then s- I think the Foo Fighters are rubbish so. you, you said that there were four so, sorry what was it four tracks that you liked three that you quite liked and then one that you as well no liked, there are six that I like sorry six that you first like. four I think are great I think Alienation is not that great I think with Sympathy's alright I think everything else is really good Honestly, there are only two songs on this album that I genuinely think are brilliant, and that would be Knights of Malta and Solara. I think. Wow. Um, I'm not. I I think so. I think Silvery sometimes and Travels are okay. Alienation's all right. Marchdown's all right. I I think the rest is just all right. It's just all right, you know. Um, and it hasn't really gelled with me yet i have given it a lot of listens i have to say i mean being half an hour you can um i have given it a lot of listens and i want to like it so much more than i do um but yeah i just i don't think it's a terrible album and i think it's come i do totally agree with you in terms of i admire the fact this is more i know you don't love this record but this is more freedom by refused in terms of a quote-unquote comeback record than it is, you know, a band just trying to reclaim past glories. It's not... They're not repeating Mm. themselves generally. I think there's a few exceptions with that. I think um, with Sympathy or Without Sympathy, whatever it's called, sounds a lot like 1979. Yeah, it does. Or Perfect or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So, but, you know, it's unsurprising that the Pumpkins are repeating themselves a little bit. You're going to have to at some point. Well, Billy Corgan, between, you know, before they split up, he wrote or had a part of something like 300 songs. So no. the prolificity, that'll do, of of <laughs> of, of, uh, of Billy Corgan is stunning. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's crap. I don't think it's rubbish. I just think it's, it's not what I... Oh, that sounds so toys out of the pram. It's not what I wanted. Yeah, I can no, sort of see it. But it's, it's, it's not, it's not, after all this time, I think Pumpkins fans deserve a bit more. How, I would like to celebrate this for what it is rather than what it isn't. That's fair. It's 32 you know what? minutes long. It, it, it feels to me like they've gone, you know, this is what we've got now. That's fair. And I think the songs are good. And yeah, it sounds like, some of it sounds like classic Smashing Pumpkins. Some of it sounds like it's not quite as direct or as urgent or as exciting as i mm-hmm. used to be but i think it's a I, I you know this would i'd i'd happily if someone said eight out of ten i'd go yeah i think just about i think it's just about just about scrape you know i think three quarters of the album i like a lot a lot there's only one song which i'm not fussed about and there's another one which i think is all right i you mm. know even 
you know, even the the songs that are like the kind of um, marching on, which is really bog standard. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing particularly wow about it, but it's just a cool two and a half minute rock song. Mm-hmm. Like, and I like it. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I'm maybe not as much of a huge obsessive of the Smashing Pumpkins as you are. Mm-hmm. Hence why I sort of feel like this. It's not a dick-waving competition. Not, it's not right? a dick-waving competition. <laughs> and I also think there's a band from the 90s that we're going to be talking about in a little bit who show up all of those bands that I've been talking about who absolutely <laughs> make... And they're so much smaller than In all terms of, of comeback records, yes. Fucking yes. Just anyway, we'll get onto that. But yeah, so... But for me, you know... The, Big, big alternative rock bands from the 90s coming back. It's not been that great. There's only mm-hmm. been a handful of records that have been really, really good. You know, mm-hmm. I think obviously Black Giveaway to Blue Bison mm-hmm. Chains is brilliant. I do think Rainier Fog's really good as well. Um, you know, like you say, Lightning Bolt where Pearl Jam's not great. Like there's not been a... I mean, that's not a comeback record to be No, fair. no, it's not a comeback. No, yeah, 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 but I mean, yeah, yeah. you kind of... Re- I, yeah, but neither is a Foo Fighters ones either. Like Sonic Highways and Concrete and Gold are both p- utter piss, I think. And... Um, uh, and yeah, King Animal, I think, is a, is a stinker as well. Really? So um, there's not been a lot to get particularly excited about. And I actually, I mean, you could even chuck in the last Bush album as well, which wasn't very good. Um, Probably yeah. shouldn't. But, um, <laughs> and the last Stone Temple Pilots album, that was you know, was dreadful. pretty dreadful yeah, as well. Yeah. So I think in the company within which they keep, I think Smashing Pumpkins have done very, very well. They've done very, very well not to be too indulgent. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's a very that's a very interesting point. That's a very interesting viewpoint to take on it. I suppose for me, I mean, if I was ranking it within their back catalogue, I was thinking about this the other day. I saw Kerrang did a from best to worst, really good one actually, um, and uh, I think it would be my second least favourite Smashing Pumpkins album. Mm. Right. Mm. But Excited to be to be fair though. I really love the Smashing Pumpkins, so that's not me going it's dog shit or anything like that. I I, I do think there's some really good stuff on it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, I'm I'm, but I am I am genuinely, uh, uh, surprised and pleasantly so that you like this. I actually, I my my gut feeling was you were going to tear it apart. So I'm glad you've not. And I'm glad you've, uh, uh. I I mean, mate, I do. I like it. I think. It's yeah. Good. Yeah. I actually like it. It has had very mixed reviews, though. It has, yeah. Very I, mixed. I, I, I mean, I actually, when I say an 8 out of 10, I would probably, because of, you know, I do like six of the eight songs on it, mm. but two of them, I think, are just sort of, I quite like them, mm. rather than I really love them. I think the first, I think it comes out really, really strong, mm. and never kind of keeps that momentum up, and it's only 32 minutes, so, yeah, I'd be probably be more comfortable giving it a 7 out of 10, but... That's all right. I think that's, that's okay. That's, you'll take that. There's, you know, if I go and see Smashing Pumpkins again, which fucking hell, I probably won't. But um, <laughs> we'll if see. I do, yeah, if I can go put myself through that again, um, I, there's a few of these songs that I'd be quite happy to hear live. Yeah, I'd probably give it a six out of ten. Right, but, but um, you know, just very quickly in terms of that, oh, this is what we've got right now. This is volume one. So I'm assuming there's a volume two. Yeah. Um, which is all well and good. But there's also sort of the question of like, if it's that short, why not put volume one and volume two together? A little bit cynical, blah, blah, blah. And you could say that people don't pay for albums anymore, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, Smashing Pumpkins fans do because Smashing mm. Pumpkins fans are fucking 
mental. Mm. And I mean that in a nice way. And, you know, I noticed early today that there are three different box sets, vinyl box sets of it. You know, one, yeah, I've, one called No Past, one called No Future, one called No Sun. And then there's a deluxe vinyl mm. box set and a blah, blah, I mean, blah. I, so it, that all feels a little cynical to me and it yeah, leaves a bit of taste in my mouth. I can't, I can't, um, uh, I can't really uh, stand up for that. So yeah. nothing for that. But anyway, it's all right. Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, the album is called Shiny and Oh So Bright Volume 1 and the rest. No, no past, past, no future. No future. No future. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Um, Mumford and Sons. Yeah. Delta. Right. This is the fourth full-length record from the Kings of Alt Folk. Yeah, uh, I think Alt Folk's fair. Is that a word? It is now. Yeah, I'll mm. take that. I mean, it's a bit late to be naming that, especially considering well, what's this got to do with folk music? Not a lot. But um, <laughs> uh, Mumford & Sons are one of those bands, right, Renfrey, where if we, on kind of any of the other platforms we've ever been associated with, yeah. decided that we were going to talk about Mumford & Sons, they'd kind of be the butt of a joke, wouldn't they? We wouldn't really be able to kind of talk about Mumford and Sons in a serious way and talk about like whether or not they're actually good because the, it would just be like uh, lol Mumford and Sons. The exception for me would be the independent, but yes, oh yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, okay, yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, for, for the most part, yes. Yeah. But now I don't know much about Mumford and Sons' entire career, mm-hmm. but what I do know is that their debut album "Sign More" is fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm absolutely fucking brilliant it's great it's really really it's, good I, I mean people might go oh I thought you were putting Mumford and Sons on there just to slag them off mm. I have to say it was an album that was that massive but mm. it's a weird one it because there seems to be a massive huge amount of ire in the same way as there is for band like you 2 we've talked about before who are a band mm-hmm. who inspire real passionate hatred mm-hmm. in people mm-hmm. Coldplay mm-hmm. inspire real passionate hatred in people it's very interesting that you said you 2 and Coldplay when we talk about this album but yes yeah. <laughs> yeah, isn't it um, but Mumford and Sons became a band who I felt were another one of those bands that, that people really really hated I have a few theories as to why this is I've got some. I mean, as a, someone who's only listened to that one album because it was sort of massive and it was everywhere. Okay. Do you and want to go with it. first? Yeah. Yeah. I think... Um, so my mum really likes folk music. So I was brought up listening to Leonard Cohen, Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, um, a little bit of like ugh, Fairport Convention and stuff mm. like that, you know, and some stuff that I... I don't even know what it is, but um, I can't really remember. But anyway, but my mum really likes folk music is the point, right? So when this record came out, I actually bought, heard it and I was like, I reckon that sounds like something my mum would like. She's always <laughs> going about wanting to listen to new music. So mm. I bought it for her and kind of listened to it with her, knowing that they're this massive band and thinking oh, I'm probably not going to really be into this and reading the lyrics along with the, the album and thinking this is fucking brilliant. Yeah. But in a way, but she went to me, it's really good, but it's not like proper folk music. Yes, right. Yes. So, my thought has always been: people who like "quote unquote" proper folk music mm. go, "No, not that. This isn't what I. This isn't the thing." Whereas people who don't care about folk music at all mm. have been exposed to this sort of thing, which may not be proper folk music to your massive, mm-hmm. huge, like kind of obsessives. Mm. Um, but uh, to the layman, to someone who doesn't know anything about folk music, mm. they're suddenly confronted with 
this quite you know twiddly folky sound yeah yeah, yeah. And, um, there's, there's and it was like and then there was a sort of boom in on off the back of it like you know laura marling came along who also yeah. got yeah. massive i think that you know the laura marling that came at that time like that was yeah fucking brilliant fucking as well great, yeah. well just to give a bit more perspective on this because i've actually played in the folk scene for about five years or so it is uh, <laughs> 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 and um the, the parallel really for for a lot of people who will be listening to this is metal yeah. in terms of um, particularly extreme metal I would imagine. yeah 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 like, like metal. people who are really into folk there is definitely a sense of um <laughs> you know if it gets popular it's not folk music anymore because it's not of the you know it's not of it's not rootsy it's not from from the from the soil from the the dirt beneath the between our fingernails blah 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 and it's the same criticisms that and i'm going to bring up a band here that neither of us like but it's the same when people go disturbed aren't a metal band for example you know disturbed are a metal band they're not a very good one but they're a metal band yeah. you know they're still a metal band and it's almost kind of the same thing but when... does that mean when because you you have picked disturbed i mean i mm. would have picked um bring me the horizon or okay. limp biscuit i would have pick someone who I I mean you know people will argue about whether or not Limp Bizkit are actually good and maybe that's not a great shout but mm. um or Avenged Sevenfold mm. like who mm. do have some you know some I wouldn't say like way. I'm a massive fan of Avenged Sevenfold but like they have got some some good albums and they yeah. have got some good material and they again they are definitely a metal band yeah whereas I don't think there's anything good about <laughs> Disturbed at all. Well, my point, uh, yeah. So would that be fair to say maybe, that about? Maybe Disturbed's a bad example from that point of view, but really really what I mean is as soon as something gets big, it's um, it's almost saying that it's not folky is uh, insult, you know. Mm. Um, that happened with loads. Like you just said, uh, Laura Marling, um, Mumford & Sons were a huge you know, got caught up with all that. Frank Turner's got caught up with loads of that and like all sorts of things. Um, and really, it, it is all just kind of nonsense. I mean, Mumford and Sons. I think the other thing is like people found out that Mumford and Sons came from quite a high, yeah. you know, rich-ish family, blah, blah, blah. And they weren't, you know, folksy from the earth. And But again, I'm always a bit like, well, you know, whoever said that folk music has to has to come from the poor? You know, I mean, it's kind of... It's 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 the same thing as like people making up rules for stuff where rules don't really exist. I think yeah. as soon as you put rules into things, you're stifling creativity. You know, people who are like, oh, it's cultural appropriation. Well, you know, if you mix, if you do have white guys doing hip hop. <laughs> That's rock music. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, rock music is culture. This is the thing. That I, I, well, we could go off on this. For quite, I could go off on this for quite a long time. But that's the thing. All rock music is cultural appropriation because yeah. who did we steal it from? Black people playing the blues. You know, I mean, without cultural appropriation, you wouldn't have most of the bands that you listen to, you mm. fucking dick. So stop going on about cultural fucking appropriation. Anyway, um, so Mumford & Sons got a lot of slack for that. Yeah. And then, I mean, I, and I have to say, I kind of got so much deeper into metal again because I, when their second album came out I was writing for Hammer and I was doing the old Metal Hammer podcast and stuff and so I they kind of just vanished from my mind but I was always like oh that first album's great but as I understand it I mean it's hardly Dylan Goes Electric but <laughs> but they have can I give you a brief summation of album two and three yes album two do. is Babel which is a 
carbon copy almost of Sino More, but not as good. Uh-huh. And I think affected them in quite a bad way because everyone went, ha, 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 this is Sino More, but it's not as good. They're rubbish now. And then they went away for a bit and came back with Wilder Mind, which was a totally, mm, totally, which was a pretty different record. It was far more of a kind of indie thing. The banjos and the like... There were still like extra accoutrements and bits and pieces on it, but most of like the banjo and like folksy twiddly widdly widdly wobbs had gone. Which brings us to Delta. Delta. Yeah. Now I read a few interviews with the bands in the sort of build up to it, and they said that the previous album, which was sorry, after my Wilder Mind, Wilder Mind, um, has kind of inspired this to take for them to go even further because they've sort of said oh, we now realise that we can do whatever we want and we can mm. play exactly what we want to play and there's no limit. If we want to use electric guitars, if we want to use synth, if we want to use this and that, and that we can do that. Mm-hmm. Now, which is, I'm not saying it's a shame, you should do whatever you want to do and I Absolutely. obviously I go for experimentation, but I listened to this and everything that I enjoyed about Mumford & Sons on that record that I thought was so brilliant and so fresh sounding. And maybe it was just because I had no real context for it, but everything that I thought was so real about it has been, it has been completely and utterly washed off of this record. Yeah. There's no excitement on this record. It's really, it doesn't sound like the same band in any way whatsoever. Uh, his voice is similar i guess i guess i i guess because you've gone from record one to record four i've i've seen not so much with babel but from wilder mind to this does make sense to me i understand that journey but yes i think if you were going from sino more to this album it would be like what the fuck Mm. um i feel somewhat sorry for them um in the sense that when they release a record which is too similar to their debut they get criticism and then when they release a record which is totally different they get criticism like you know i feel sorry for them from that point of view but the problem is is the songs on this are just it's really boring it's so boring the problem is is here's the problem and it's the problem for fucking it feels like it's a problem for everyone we were talking about it with muse last week we've spoken about it with any big band that you care to mention within rock music is that they are obsessed with this synthy modern sound they're obsessed with it they're obsessed with just making everything flatten it out like take the middle put everything in the middle produce it exactly the same hmm. and it all just ends up sounding the same i don't think to the extent as the muse record to no, be, well, to no, be fair because the muse record is is utterly utterly fucking ludicrous synthopedia yeah but i mean that's fucking hell um <laughs> synth apocalypse synth synthopedia um <laughs> sorry yeah it's an alternative title yeah it is um uh but mate, synths, yes but but there's there's all that and i just thought well okay yeah you just sound like another you just sound like another kind of 2016 indie band yeah yeah and, and I, I i was you know and i don't know why they would do that i mean the, well, the one there's a couple of all right so i thought i thought i thought delta the final track on it was quite good yeah that's got quite a nice build and i think the best thing on it by far the only thing that sounds like it's got a bit of threat a bit of danger is darkness visible there's a song called darkness i visible. really want to get into this yeah yeah which mm. is 
a weird little song. Um, uh, on this record, it's a weird little song. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, uh, just to go back very briefly, and this will go into Darkness Visible, you, you were talking about interviews with Marcus Mumford where he was saying that this was a really experimental record, right? Yeah. My big issue with it is maybe it's just compared to the music that i tend to listen to this isn't experimental no no but like if this is what counts as experimental music in the mainstream that is not expect like that is not vaguely experimental it's worrying the closest we get to experimental is darkness visible which is how actually do you know what i'm i am gonna steal it because the rolling stone had an amazing um they had a brilliant, brilliant uh, description of it where they said, oh, it was Rolling Stone called it Trent Reznor gone all a beautiful mind. <laughs> 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 so basically it's kind of a... Oh, how would you explain it, Steve? I would explain it as it's, it's an, it's an industrialised yeah. noir pop song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a yeah. kind of... It, it's almost like... Um, it's, it's like Fifty Shades of Grey... Um, sadomasochism do you know what I mean like you know like oh a feather t-. you know when you think you're like d- you know when you talk about slime light and you go we're all in chains I've got, got chained up nipples yeah, and I'm being yeah, whipped yeah. by like my cat and nine tails on, on that. I've got my fucking safety pin on my through my cock or whatever and then yep. Fifty Shades of Grey they're like oh a feather she slapped yes. me on the bum with a feather yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. that's it, yes. Nine Inch Nails is the first one Mumford and Sons is the second that's one it feels good, like yeah. a very kind of PG-13 version of a kind of um, sleazy cop industrial like, yeah like track. Blade Runner thing yeah so sort of very subtly distorted guitars but also subtly and uh, sort of weird ass twinkling that makes pianos. you sound like I'm slagging it off it's my favourite song on the record but you know no I know well this is the thing uh, it, it's certainly the most interesting song on the record I don't think it is my favourite if I'm honest but it's uh, it's the it, it was the part of the record where I went eh because the thing is, is compared to the rest of the album, even though compared to fucking Nine Inch Nails or whoever you want to name, whatever bands that we talk about all the Gravity fucking Kills. time. Gravity Kills. <laughs> compared to those bands, this isn't massively experimental. But then, but it sounds like such a massive spanner in the middle of this record where it's like, what? What yeah. are you going off on now? Yeah. Um, and there's a voiceover, um, which is just quoting bits of Milton's Paradise Lost quite randomly on it as well i mean if you think mumford and sons are totally boring and safe and housewifey at least listen to this track and it'll, it'll probably make you go oh they're mainly boring and safe yeah, and housewifey it's such a shame, such a shame <laughs> that it, this album is like this because i wanted to come on here and go no mumford and sons are really good so did i actually because yeah, that actually. first album is really yeah, good and i don't yeah. know why i never bothered with anything else just maybe because life you know um I think they're going to become one of those bands who are destined to have like one fucking great debut album and then just release dross for the rest of their career. And they'll remain massive. I mean, yeah. they're still huge, you know, and they'll still, still, because, because the thing is, is this music sells and it sells well because it's produced brilliantly. It's produced by um, the guy who did Adele and, um, oh fuck, what else? Florence the Machine and Lana Del Rey and Rihanna, um, Paul Epworth, that's his name. Right. It's produced by him, so it sounds fucking amazing. I mean, it, the production is incredible. And um, it's it's pleasant to listen to. To give you an idea, like, 
I listened to this record for the first time. I had like 10 hours sleep the night before. I felt great. I just had a roast, lovely stuff, put on the new Mumford and Sons record and I was asleep within four tracks. And, you know, it's 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 a very pleasant thing to listen to, but it's just really boring, but it's pleasant background music. Yeah. And pleasant background music like. tends to sell really well. Yeah. So it will sell by the shed load. Yeah. Um, but in terms of people who actually critique music and try to look in a bit further... There's nothing interesting in this at all. Really, really nothing. Although, five stars in the Telegraph. No. Yep. Bloody fuck. I think it's the same fella who gave um, Paul Weller five stars as well. Uh, Fucking hell. Yeah. He needs to... What a a, a fucking boring man. I can't remember his name, but um, yeah, his reviews are terrible. I... I, (laughs) I should be going... I mean, in a lot of ways, the Paul Weller album is more interesting than this record. And yeah, I feel like I slagged off the Paul Weller album and this, I'm just like, <laughs> don't really know. Like, I mean, it really is very, very, very dull, like, this record. It is really dull. It is dull and it hasn't got... The thing about what I liked about the first record, it wasn't the banjos and the folkiness and the da-da-da-da-da. It was that it felt... His voice felt like it really... Like, it really kind of crystal crystalled, that's not a word. It really kind of tingled with emotion. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it really did. it felt so I think that's the thing with Mon- Mumford and Sons, is if you are with people who go, Oh, fiddly diddly do it's like his his voice in that first record really, really cracks with proper emotion. A lot. A hell of a lot. And this does not do that at any point did I feel like it was even though he sounds like him, he sounds like him just ordering a fucking yeah. takeaway do you know what I mean he's things in the same register for most of this record yeah it's, it's a real shame because you know I actually but anyway there you go so it's going to be massive regardless yeah it'd be yeah. huge so that's Mumford and Sons Delta um, yeah shame that anyway let's move on uh, Failure in the future your body will be the furthest thing from your mind it's the fifth album from the criminally underrated alt rock trio of the 90s who reformed back in 2015 and released my favourite album of that year mm. The Heart is a Monster mm. which is a very very good album indeed it's a brilliant album yeah. Renfrey hello ask me about Failure tell me about Failure Steve do you, do you, are you into Failure are you yes. familiar with Failure from before Fantastic Planet yeah Comfort yes yeah. please yeah. fucking love them so for my money Mm-hmm. We were talking about Smashing Pumpkins earlier and I said there is a band coming up. For my money, not many bands from the 90s mm-hmm. or before or since have aged better than Failure. I think that's a pretty good shout. Yeah. I think that's because Failure were insanely ahead of their time mm-hmm. in terms of um, their the sonics of their records are mad. Yeah, uh, the guitar tones and the amount of work and that they clearly put into just making these crazy, crazy sounds. Failure are a really difficult, uh, another really difficult band to pinpoint in terms of yeah. what are they? You know, when they came out, they got called grunge, which isn't a genre. Um, yeah. And grunge is definitely not right. No, um, the uh, pff, bits of like space rock, um, prog, tall. There are tall bits. There are bits. Tall-esque yes. Pink Floyd-esque bits. Definitely Pink Floyd-esque bits. But even Pumpkins, I think you can put a bit of Smashing yeah, Pumpkins in there. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think even the kind of college rock stuff <coughs> is there as well. Definitely. Certainly Definitely. more mature and more like the Beatles 
They're all over. There the is definitely place. some Beatles on this. Huge yeah. Beatles. A massive Beatles. Very magical mystery tour, I think, on um, this one. I, but, but really, they're alternative rock. Aren't yeah, they? they are. Really, they are what we do this podcast. About. Yeah, yeah. They are rock. alternative rock. I cannot understand how we are talking about this band. And we've mentioned Smashing Pumpkins and we've mentioned Pearl Jam. We've mentioned Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and the Foo Fighters. And all those bands we've mentioned are those massive, 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 massive bands from the 90s who come here and play arenas. Mm-hmm. And Failure are... Pff, I thought the Boston Music Room headlining last time they came over. Boston Music Room, not sold out. Fuck. Probably the best sounding show in a club I have ever seen in my entire life. They sound absolutely exactly as they do on record like they get that yeah. to sound like they are fucking insanely brilliant live sounding they sound incredible i cannot for the life of me understand how this band are not platinum selling multi million rock star mega stars i cannot i cannot understand it it is one of the great mysteries to me I think it is partly to do with what we were just talking about in terms of they are incredibly difficult to define. Mm. But so were a lot of those bands in the 90s. So were the Smashing Pumpkins. So were Tool. So were Nine Inch Nails. So were Rage Against the Machine when they first came out. So were Faith No More. All of those bands are very, very difficult to define. So were the Deftones. Like, this is Chino Moreno's favourite band. This is Wes Borland's favourite band. This is Hayley Williams from Paramore's favourite band. Yeah, we should point out as well that um, a perfect circle um, covered covered. Yeah, the first uh, of my nurse who the nurse who loved me. The nurse who loved me. If you think that's a original uh, from Thirteenth Step, if you think that's a perfect circle original song, it is not. And if you think that's the best version of it, it 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 is is not. not. Um, Yeah, it's actually a failure song. Yeah, so failure's version is way better than Perfect Circle's version. And that's a band with Maynard James Keenan in it. I think it's better. Do you think it's way yes, better? Do. Okay, I fair do. enough, fair yeah, enough. I I'm way, looking into your way, eyes, I can see better. that you definitely think that. Yeah. Um, I actually cannot listen to that Perfect Circle version. Really? Anymore. Nope. Oh, I, I quite like it. Anyway, but um, Failure are a... Def- in, definitely in terms of the, well, you know, one of the most underrated bands of the 90s. They are definitely right up there. Um... I would even wager you'd probably put them number one, maybe. Um, I think I would. Yeah. I mean, because of the sort of love that people have found for Refused, Mm. who would have probably been my pick in 2002, (laughs) um, uh, I think Failure are the... Yeah, I think... Yeah, for me, they they would be the number one pick. And the weird thing is, is it's only since they've reformed that even... I, I didn't even know about them in the 90s. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? I, even I didn't. I didn't know they were. I only found out. I saw they were playing, and I was like, never heard of them before. And then I listened. Somebody sent me the record. I went, you should listen to this. And they sent me the oh, new is that one. Right? Yeah, I'd never even heard of them. So I got I got into them through a perfect circle. Oh, because right, I noticed okay. that. Oh, yeah, this see, isn't I didn't. An original. I didn't even oh, notice. Right. I just thought I thought it was a perfect circle song. Ah, right, right, okay. And then yeah, um, I mean, they're they're well. We should say they're an LA based three piece they sound like there are many more people in the band than that um very much all three musicians are at the top of their game uh musicianship wise but but they're not showy at all um everything is servicing the song and yeah i mean genre wise well let's get on to this record well yeah okay so basically um 
in the future, your body will be the furthest thing from your mind is made up of three P's that they've released over the last 18 months or so. I'm not really sure if this counts as a proper album. Does it count as a proper album? Because these EPs have been out and it's just them put well, together with the, the segs that they It's technically four EPs because this album marks the fo- the last uh, yes, like four or yes, five yes, songs. Yes, yeah, marks the last. So, I, so yeah, do you does. know what? Like hearing that, it might be like, oh, well, this isn't going to sound very cohesive and stuff. I think this sounds surprisingly cohesive. A, considering that it's three slash four EPs released over a year, and B, considering that there is a failure flirt with so many different genres. I mean, I'm going to say, fuck it. Uh, whether it's a proper album or not, it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, it doesn't really matter because it is fucking great. Yeah, yeah. and having... I'd listened, and, and I also thought, what I thought to myself, so I've been listening to the eps as they've been coming out right okay but i've been keeping pretty quiet about it because i knew that this was eventually going to be made part of an album and i thought to myself i don't think they they know that that was the plan from the start Mm. so i think they're going to write it as an album and just release it in four parts or three parts or and then the fourth part being it all together so i think they knew that it was going to be an album yeah probably um but but fuck me, mm. this is so great. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, this is so yeah. fucking great. Like I don't, again, I don't even know where to start. There's nothing. Um, well, let's start with the first track. So the first track sounds, for starters, it doesn't sound like anything that failure ever done before. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's called Dark Speed, um, and it's kind of a cross between Radiohead and Beck. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, it is actually. That's a good um, shot. But with like a slightly more sinister edge. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting way to start the record because like again similar to the Smashing Pumpkins record actually they're starting with a song that doesn't sound anything like they've done before I don't think really Um, that I mean it's a great way to start the record and it's it isn't even it's actually one of my least favourite songs on the album yeah I mean actually (laughs) you know I I think considering how good it it is it does go I mean when you get past kind of you know, Segway 10, when you yeah. get to like No One Left and Solarize, when no it hits one that, left. No One Left's amazing, Solarize is, like that's when they go, f- when they go full riffy and they get mm. that kind of, they get that kind of thudding, it's almost like a Jason Newstead bass tone, which mm-hmm. is another band mm-hmm. we probably wouldn't, you wouldn't think of Metallica nope. and, and Failure at all. Like when it gets to those sort of points, like Ken, the the, the bassist, has got such a fucking unbelievable, thick, like lumbering, stomp on his bass mm-hmm. it is it's one of the most seductive sounds to hear mm. to hear him like just kind of run his fingers up and down that fretboard while sort of thumping away on those bass strings so great like so fucking great he also and- quite brilliantly um not so much in this song not so much in no one left which by the way i called a dreamy doomy and spellbinding all at the same time yeah. and that's about all i could write on it uh it's amazing um but he has this amazing way of le- leaving again leaving a lot of space in between the notes yeah. to the point where like sometimes sometimes is um sometimes it almost sounds like eerie radio transmissions that are coming in and out his bass you know yeah. it's in a weird kind of i don't know uh, wave form sort of way it's very I do wonder sometimes if this is the reason why Failure didn't get mad because they are fucking hard to describe, aren't they? They're very, very. I know. Difficult I to know describe. all those other bands that you've named are fucking hard to describe as well, but maybe because they've been described so often, 
Well, that's the thing. Is I just think maybe we shouldn't really be having to describe them. Yeah, I, they're, maybe. they're that good that you just think. Why? Just, why don't you know anyway? Why don't we all know? Like how how it took me until 2015, and now I'm like, I, you, you should all know. Well, you know, I get it. Like I didn't, so I can't fucking sit there. But I I I know they had a lot of problems with drugs and a lot of problems mm. with like personnel and had a lot of problems with record labels. And I know, you know, they were. I mean, you talk earlier about Smashing Pumpkins and how they had like guitar solos during the time of Nirvana. Mm. You know, failure would play were. Were you know playing Beatlesy Pink Floyd music when when it was when really it was like not punk cool. rock yeah, yeah when yeah, it was Green yeah, Day yeah, and Offspring yeah. so yeah, yeah, you know yeah. it's it's tough for him I, mean, I think the last song on the whole record the Pinial Electorate this absolute complete John Lennon um, psychedelic Beatles song oh okay I was gonna say massively strong Pink Floyd vibes but oh, really? I don't okay. think he yeah. is inaccurate. No, I think both of those um, things are, are, yeah. are true. But like, no other band in rock music. Because I was going to say, I was going to say, no other band that we cover. But that's not true because I think there are plenty of bands that we would cover. But no other band who would go into the pages of like Kerrang or I'm not sure if Hammer would cover Failure. They probably wouldn't. But, um, mm. but um, yeah, I don't think there's many bands that could write the sort of songs we were talking about before, those real kind of alt-rock, really classy, or they just sound classy, classy, don't they? that's a good word. Yeah. They just sound, they've just got so much class mm. failure. Mm. They've mm. just got, uh, they've just got a thing that sort of, elev- they've got the same sort of thing that Tool have got, mm-hmm. that just, they have a sound and they carry themselves in this way that just sort of elevates them from normal bands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't really put it any better than that. Mm, I think that's because I fair. think actually you would listen to this record and you'd go, yeah. In terms of the songwriting and in terms of the sound and what they're talking about and what they're like, other bands that do that, but there's something about this band that just is elevates them above most other bands. And I can't quite put my finger on what it yeah. is. Yeah. But bloody fuck, they are fucking brilliant. I know what you mean. I, I don't, I mean, to be clear, I don't think they sound like Tool particularly. No, they don't. But but it's a, but I there's a quality to them where it's almost like you don't really care what they're going to do because you trust them. Yeah. Like, I think in a lot of ways, this record doesn't sound like anything that Failure have done before, but it doesn't matter because when those three people get together... I trust what they're going to do is re- going to be really good. Um, and the, the amount of layers that there are to failure albums just as a, as a whole, just, I, it's, you could be listening to this record for years and still pick up new stuff. Yeah. I mean, you I know. still listen to <coughs> Heart, as a Monster. Heart as a Monster Same. and go, oh, fuck me. I've never heard that little tweak in the background. Mm. And that is was your favourite album of 2015, it I was, believe yeah. it came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does this compare to The Hearts of Monsters, do you think? Uh, very, very favourably. Yeah? I mean, I don't think it's quite as good. I agree. I don't think it's quite as good consistently in terms of like every song on the heart of monster you just go like fucking hell mm. there are a few and on- there are 18 songs <laughs> yeah, yeah. well there's a lot of like segways the segways there, yeah. but you know but um <clears throat> i don't think this is quite to the absolute like consistent bullseye standard that they set on that record but there's nothing on it that's bad and there's nothing on it that is that drops it right down i just think 
Yeah, it's not far off. I mean, it's I, another great record. I agree with all of that. I, I, I don't think it's quite as good, but I don't think it's far off at all. No. And I think it's a really great album. Yeah, and I would say it's the best record that we review this week. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I don't know. I thought you might maybe go, hmm, I'm not sure about that. No, I think Failure probably is the yeah. best. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. But anyway, there it is. Um, it's called In Your Future, The Body Will Be The Furthest Thing From Your Mind. The band are called Failure. You know, if you haven't heard them and you like fucking hell, just alternative rock. Yeah, pretty much. I, I cannot, I find it almost impossible to believe that you won't think this band are fucking stunning. Anyway, last album of the week comes from a band called Azusa. It's called Heavy Yoke. It is um, Liam Wilson from the Dillinger Escape, formerly, I should say, of the Dillinger Escape Plan. Um, it's one of his new bands. We spoke about, uh, or why you and I have spoken about John Frum, the death metal band. Yes. Did, uh, did a death metal band called John Frum, um, did Liam, uh, last year. It was pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. For, like, quite difficult to penetrate, that record. Yeah, it was. But, yeah, but, yeah. But, but it was but good. good. It was a sort yeah, of technical yeah. death metal thing, yeah. um, which you might expect from somebody who played bass <laughs> in the Dillinger Escape Plan. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this is it's kind of weird because this is more different, but because it's so different, it's probably more the sort of thing that you would definitely expect someone from Dillinger to, to be involved in because... It's uh, it's all over the fucking shop. Hmm. Isn't it? yeah, it's def- yes, definitely. I don't think it's uh, certainly don't think it's a Dillinger copy or anything. No, like that it's not a Dillinger copy. All. That's not what I was saying. At no, all. no, 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 no. Sorry. Um, Just so you know. Um, but I think um, again, it's another record that's difficult to put your finger on. Really, I would say when it's heavy, there's a kind of uh, chaotic between the buried and me esqueness to it. Yeah. But then at the same it time... It gets really frantic. It, like it, it gets very frantic. Yeah, yeah really frantic Which is when it wants to be. what Liam has spent a career doing. Yeah. Again, I don't want to compare it to Dillinger that, like, obviously, but... The, 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 oh, I was about to say the franticity. The franticness, though, is certain, like, it's, it's undoubtedly... Franticity. <laughs> Who's she? I think... <laughs> Hi Fran. Well, Hi, just, is that Mrs. Ticity? Hi Fran. Pinged me on WhatsApp. <laughs> um, the 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 franticness is undoubtedly a through line of Liam's work. But you know, if you if you go from Dillinger to John from to Azuzu, they're all very different. So you know. Yep. I also well the thing is, the, the thing that, that you can pin Liam down as, as doing is he's one of the best bass players to give you something to follow in really yes. frantic music. That you know what he's possibly the most underrated uh, member of Dillinger. I always say to people who go, "Oh, it's too much Dillinger Escape Plan." I'm always like, "Get that bass, just own it on the bass. Get yourself yeah. on the bass, yeah. and you'll fucking you'll, you'll find, find your way, your way yeah. around it." That's so true. Um, and he works so hard, so diligently. Um, no, but he does. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal player, yeah, and really I've good. I've kind of um, I've been lucky enough to sort of see him backstage just just practicing and noodling away for hours like the guy's a machine he's amazing um a thoroughly nice bloke to boot as well i must he's say he's a nice bloke um well you met him once but he's nice he's lovely and um he i i, th- I th- but i think the main thing really we should talk about with this band rather than liam is it well it's gonna have to be the vocalist isn't it yeah so the i mean yes you're absolutely right i mean i was about to say the vocalist is called eleni i can't pronounce her second name zaf riyad zafiradu zafiradu 
I think that's as close as, as we're going to get. get. Uh, huge apologies because we are idiots and ignorant. Yeah, and we don't I, know. I am not good at more than like two syllables, so I'm sorry about that. Eleni Safradu. Yeah. Eleni Safradu, I think, is Who, what we're going for. But apologies if that's wrong. Goes, goes, to the, goes into those kind of screaming territories. and She does? So here's the thing, with a lot of people who are a lot of kind of female screamers mm-hmm. or like who do this sort of dirty vocals mm-hmm. don't always sound like a girl when they're doing it they don't actually always no. sound female when they do it but she actually sounds like a woman doing it or like I say she does. I think that might not be as true as it used to be because we have got Rana Tomasi and Oathbreaker and Merka and a lot of no, but Women I do, doing that, I but do, do you understand what, I mean? what you mean. I mean, I've had people walk in on me whilst I'm listening to an employed server. That sounds like I'm doing something dirty. Walk in on me. <laughs> I've had people walk in whilst I've been listening to employed to serve and just assume, and, you know, I'm yeah. sure Justine listens to this and this is no offence to you, Justine, but just assume that the vocalist is male mm. um, when Justine definitely isn't. Um, we know her. She's definitely not male. I'm not so, prepared to... I don't know... I, I think okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're pretty. We're pretty. She says she is. She says. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she does say she is. No one's. So. No, I, the gentlemanly thing to do at this point is to just take her at face value. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. We'll find out one day. <laughs> um, so there we wait. Um, but yes, in. I think even Eva when she, from Rolo when she's really screaming yeah. can sound again. I don't mean this in a bad way, but quite it, 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 it could be mistaken for being a masculine vocal, a male yep. vocal. But it, that's never the case with this. No, which is really interesting. Um, but not only that, but she has this amazing way around a pop vocal hook. Yeah, um, and there are points on this record when we are. Oh man, if you if you took bits of it out you could probably get a really bonkers 10 12 maybe 15 10 10 or 12 minute pop record out of it you know it's quite when it's melodic it's really fucking melodic do you know like not i'm not saying that she sounds like him in any way but in that sense in the sense of like going to all sorts of places and her being able to go on that journey and not you know suffer for it she reminded me of Mike Patton. I thought you were going to say Mike Patton. It's mm. not a bad shout. Yeah, I know. I, I let me. Yeah, we make should this clarify. Clear. Mike Patton. She's. I am not based on one record and one record alone. I'm not saying this is the new Mike Patton, but in terms of just how versatile she was and where she's going and what she's doing and all this sort of thing, I was kind of like, damn it, like this, this she could maybe who knows maybe one day she has a very 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 wide range and vers- range versatility, and versatility yeah, yeah, yeah. is what you're saying uh, yes. Yeah. yes um i mean when you listen to the title track heavy yoke the actual the, the song heavy yoke yeah it's amazing how quickly she can go from one to the other uh on a the, dime on a dime and the band do the like she almost can i feel like she conducts the band Yes, that is what it sounds like, isn't it? I mean, that's clearly not. Well, no, no, clearly, it's, it's probably not. What's I going wouldn't on. be very, very unlikely. Sure, that it's that the, is drummer, the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah, if anything. But it does feel like the band are taking cues from her. It feels really. You know, when you listen, sometimes you listen to 
the vocal pattern on a on a piece of music mm. and it feels like somebody sat down and gone okay the music's going like that and i'm going to go da 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 or whatever do you know what i mean like do 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 that's the da oh yeah that's the melody that's the thing that's what i want to do this feels like it's just sort of wherever it needs to go like yeah. not not in a bad way like it, it feels disjointed or it feels like she doesn't know what she's doing or whatever but it just feels really off the cuff mm-hmm. it feels like a real just like I'm going to sing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the band Natural. are almost... When we were doing a Jeff Buckley special and you were saying about how Jeff Buckley wouldn't tell the band what songs he was going to play and yeah, what yeah, was yeah. going to come next and how you know long it was going to be before he went into the next song or do you know what I mean? Or when he was going to come out of a solo or whatever. Mm-hmm. It feels like she... This, this record almost feels like they're riding her kind of emotional passages that she goes down. It's it's fucking cool this record. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really fucking good. cool. I would say I think there's definitely more to come in terms of the actual songwriting. I agree. It gets a it gets even so it's only thirty four, thirty five minutes long, this record. Um and it, it it takes a while to penetrate, it takes a while to get it into your brain and, and like because there's a lot going on. Um, in a weird way, I don't necessarily mean this as a, as a negative, but in a weird way, it actually feels longer than 35 minutes because there's so much to it. Yeah, it's really dense. Whoa! It's really dense. And it's a lot to take in. Yeah. But I do think that if they concentrate on the songwriting a bit more next time around, we could be potentially talking about a really, like, special band. I think so. Um, especially in, like, um... Ellen, 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 Elena, her um, clean singing part. She has this very similar kind of soulful thing to her that um, Cami Gilbert has from Oceans of Slumber, I think. Um, Although she's far more, uh, her range is far more diverse than Cami. I think Cami's brilliant, but but you know she can do a lot more than Cami from Oceans of Slumber can. I really, yeah, I really like this record. It's I good. mean, it's, really it, good. It, it, it's, it's of... funny you mentioned Oceans of Slumber because I would say, like, I, I really, really liked <gasps> the first Oceans of Slumber record a lot. Technically, but... the second, but yeah, sorry. Oh yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> um, but the one that came out this year, which we never got a chance to talk about, the mm. one that came out this year is fucking unbelievable. So if they do oh, that great. kind of progression, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that album is, fu- is, is, you know, is the banished heart. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking great. It's yeah. fucking brilliant. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So if they do that, if you if you if you think that that's the type of step and progression that is possible with these bands who are very difficult to pin down, very yeah. kind of wild, very esoteric, and very um, individualistic and quite different from the sort of thing that we've been seeing before in yeah. this type of music. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there could be something wicked. Yeah, I really hope so. Um, you know, and it's really exciting to see out of the disillusion, you know, disillusion out of the out of the um the breakup. Let's just the break the breakup yeah. of of one of the best bands ever of all time. So many exciting, interesting new things coming out of it. Yeah. You know, it's cool. It's yeah, very wicked. It is cool. All right, well, there you go. That was Azusa, Heavy Yoke. Um, go and have a little listen to that. It is very good. Uh, we're going to throw over now to our good friend Jamie Lenman, my friend and yours, and a little bit about everyone. Um, this is Jamie talking about the mental, absolutely mental Hot Space by Queen. Have you heard this album, Renfrey? Yeah, I have. It's fucking mad. It's bonkers. But anyway, that's not what we think. Well, it is what we think. But this is what Jamie thinks. And that's better. Hey, thanks, Steve. Thanks, Renfrey. Hey everyone, it's Jamie Lemon here again to uh, 
hijacking the end of the Right App podcast here to talk to you about another undiscovered classic, another weird album that uh, maybe you haven't heard of or maybe you've overlooked. That's the idea, is it? You know, uh, probably maybe usually by a big band. You think, oh, I know all their records. I got them all. But no, you you missed this one. Or it might be by a tiny band where you think, oh, I know all the bands. But no, you missed this band. But this is, uh, because it's a, a fairly Queen month, I've given it away straight away. Queen. I didn't even dilly-dally around. I didn't tease you. Wham. Straight in. Apologies for the facts there. I'm bringing the facts hard. We're going to talk about a Queen album. And it is, it's in fact, it's a Queen album that I've discussed before on a different podcast with my man Steve. But I've got more things to say about it. And it's so close to my heart. And uh, because it's a Queen month, right? Because that film, Bohemian Rhapsody, has come out in the cinemas. And even though it's perhaps not a very good film, I've still been to see it three times. And I will go again because it's just wonderful to spend some time with Freddie Mercury. Uh, And Rami Malek, I think, does a great job of channeling him there. And also that clone they got to play, the clone of Brian May. They took one of his hairs and they cloned him and grew him in a vat just for the sole purpose of being in this 90-minute film. I think the clone did a very good job as well. And the kid, I mean, I'm going to talk about the album in a minute. Did you realise that the guy playing John Deacon, Queen's bass player, is the kid who ate the jellies in Jurassic Park running away from the raptor in the kitchen? That's him, the ginger kid who gets fried on the fence. Ah, And then he joined Queen. He went back in time and joined Queen. So it works out. Um, But yeah. I love the film, and it has uh, filled me full of uh, Queen love all the all the month long, which, I mean, is there anyway. It was always there in my heart, but it, it's brought it bubbling to the surface. And I've just been on a tour, and every night, because of this Queen love, well, we play Queen covers quite regularly anyway. I do anyway. And we did another one, Bites the Dust, which was fantastic, which is, funnily enough, where the story of this... Uh, our obscure album starts it's not the record that another one bites the dust is on that's the game which came out in 1980 it's the following record that was made as a result of another one bites the dust massive success so let's rewind a bit well let's rewind a lot queen crazy awesome band you know did a few great records before they hit really big with bohemian rhapsody and then they were really forced onto the nation's consciousness and then they sort of you know they, they've never really been in fashion and uh, they had a bit of a, a wild period, a wilderness period during punk, uh, failing to connect with the kids there. I mean, they connect with the rock kids. They were all over the a massive band all over the world. I think Britain was a bit snobby towards them, which is a shame because they were, you know, one of our greatest bands. And so then towards the end of the 70s, yeah, they uh, they made this record, The Game, which is actually the record we're going to talk about is Hot Space, which followed The Game. Uh and for a long time, Hot Space, it's so weird. It's a weird little record. was actually my favourite Queen record. Uh, and, uh, you know, these days, I think I have to say I prefer the game as a whole. Hot Space is definitely mo fascinating and just utterly bizarre. So we're going to be talking about Hot Space, but we can't really tell this story without talking about the game. So the game has got a lot of uh, those hit tracks and it's got Save Me, it's got Play the Game. Uh, and it's got another one bites the dust on it. And the legend goes that Michael Jackson, who was good friends with Freddie Mercury at this time, he said, "That's the jelly, that's the 
Mr. Single. I won't do it. I won't keep doing a Michael Jackson impression. Sorry. I couldn't help it. He said that because that's what Michael Jackson used to say when the track was good. That's the jelly. That's what he would say when he uh, when it would make him dance. And he thought that another one by the dust was the jelly. And that was written by John Deacon, as you can see in the Bo Rap film. One of the facts in there, one of the few facts in that film. And um, he advised Queen that that was going to be a big single. And they were like, really? Because it was a sort of an R&B thing. And again in the film, you can see them sort of umming and eyeing about going into R&B. Which is weird because Queen, they've never been a straight ahead rock band. They're like the Beatles. One of their key uh, features that served them so well was their forays into like so many different uh, areas of music. I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody is the classic example, that big opera section, and then you've got heavy metal, and you've got, you got a ballad at the start. It's crazy. So for Queen, who'd done songs in, like, jazz, and they invented thrash metal, if you listen to Stone Cold Crazy, all of these different genres, music hall, all of this stuff, for them to balk at R&B, I think is really weird. But John Deacon had quite a time convincing the rest of the band to go for it. Well, I, I think he had quite a time convincing Roger Taylor to go for it, but I think maybe the rest went along a bit easier. But anyway... It was an odd sound for them. And when they released it, it just blew up. It went absolutely huge in America. Everyone knows this. All the R&B radio stations picked it up, went to number one. Oh, my God. Queen are a big deal in America now. And so that sort of gave them the taste for it. And the theme of these, if you've been listening to these at all, these bits that I do at the end of the Riot Act every four weeks, where I talk about a weird album that sticks out in a band's career. I'm always drawn to these records because I like to see it when a band who have such an established style briefly step out of that. That will, I think that's probably going to be the key, especially when I'm talking about a record you've not heard from a big band, because invariably they don't do very well. And the band sort of go, uh-oh, and go back to their original sound. And this is the one where Queen, Queen really did try to capitalize on that success of another one bites the dust and it's also you know it's the it's the story like madness the last time we discussed when they you know tried to abandon their more um analog roots you know a full band and we all play live instruments and let's do something a little bit more 80s it was about five years later than queen did it but let's you know let's step into the 80s and let's use drum machines and program bass that's exactly what queen did with this record, they thought, okay, well, let's, you know, use a few drum machines. They'd started using synthesizers earlier on in the game. So they were really stepping into the 80s here. And it did not wash well with uh, Roger Taylor, the drummer, Brian May, celebrated guitarist. It was mainly spearheaded by John Deacon, who'd had such success with Another One Bites the Dust, and Freddie Mercury. And at this point, the club scene was huge. They were hanging out in Europe a lot at this time. Their recording studio was in Montreux. And if you hear them talk about their sort of day of work, it would start at like three in the afternoon, which is when they'd wake up from the heavy clubs the night before. Lots of drinking, lots of alcohol, lots of uh, cheeky substances, if you know what I'm saying. And then they would record a bit. They'd have some breakfast at like 6 p.m. It sounds similar to my routine, except without the drugs and the alcohol. And then they'd maybe record up until, you know, 10 or 11 when it was time to hit the clubs again. So not a lot of work getting done. And certainly Freddie was a wild man in the clubs. And he was loving listening to all the music that was playing, the dance music, the disco music that was getting played in the clubs. He wanted to bring that into the band. He was very keen on this. And Deaky on the bass was keen on this. And they had a struggle with the other two. So they decided, you know, it's an egalitarian relationship they all have. Isn't that the right word, egalitarian? I don't know. It's equal is what I'm trying to say. 
And Queen is actually one of those bands where if you look at their singles, particularly the hit singles, it's very evenly spread. All four writers, even Deaky, the quiet one, wrote some of the mega hits, as we've discussed. So that's a really great thing about Queen. And they they all decided, okay, let's give this a go. You know, I'm sure there were some grumpy sounds made along the way. And in fact, Roger Taylor continued to make grumpy sounds well after it was released. I think he's still making grumpy sounds about it now. Brian May sounds like he's uh, sort of come to terms with it. But they embarked on this journey to capitalize on that success of their R&B sounding, Another One Bites the Dust, with not a whole record of it, but more of it. And that is the, I think that's the main myth about Hot Space that I discovered to be untrue when I picked up a tape copy years ago. I'd heard, oh, this is Queen's disco album. This is Queen's dreadful, embarrassing disco album. And uh, when I put it on, I was surprised because that's not the case at all. It, I mean, it's sort of, it's a game of two halves in that, yes, five of the sort of 11 tracks are what was threatened, the Queen disco record. Drum machines, very little guitar, you know, a sort of a disco club feel. And they're brilliant. I love them. They're fantastic. So that would fine with me if they do a whole record like that. But then the other five, or the other six, shall we say, we'll talk about the track 11 in a minute. The other five are pretty much what you'd expect on any Queen record at any point. Big, bombastic rock numbers, pop singles, and, you know, a couple of really sweet ballads. So this idea that they completely abandoned their roots and did this dreadful disco album, just is not true, um, for the most part anyway. They certainly did attempt it. Perhaps they couldn't resist being drawn back to their to their roots. Maybe, you know, Brian and Roger won the toss too many times and they had to put them big bombastic ballads on. But um, it's a fascinating record. So let's talk about it. What you, The first one you've got is Staying Power, which is sort of, it's got a real good groove to it, but you can hear straight away... Brian's do a little sort of jazz guitar, disco guitar in there. But it's very, you know, the drum machine, it's driven by the synthesizers and it's got a, a full brass section. I think I'm right in saying this is the only Queen song with a brass section on it. You know, trumpets and trombones. It sounds fantastic, but it does sound, it's very funky and it's quite unlike Queen. Interestingly enough, if you wanted to get Queen on Fire live at the Bowl, which is their 1983, I think, live concert at the Milton Keynes Bowl. It is tremendous as a live record, just audio, but the DVD is is great as well. That's when they were playing. That's when they were touring this record. So a lot of tracks from this record get played during that show. And one of them is the live version of Stay in Power. And they should have renamed it Roger's Revenge because he is not on the album version. By golly, is he on the live version. He is absolutely rocking it. Songs played like twice the speed. He's really cross about it. But I gotta say, guys, it's much better, you know, as essentially a rock fan, to hear like a good rocking version of someone that was previously a little bit more laid back. I'm always gonna go for that. And Deaky uh, doesn't play any bass on it; he plays the second guitar. And to hear all the riffs that are sort of on a low down, laid back synthesizer on the album version, rocked through a guitar, it is tremendous. I mean, it's a great song anyway. I love the album version. Check out the live version; it's just insane. So then we go to Dancer which is uh, really sort of, it's a great track. It's another sort of dance track with uh, a little bit of nice guitar solo from Brown on it. Really nice uh, harmonic vocals from Freddie. But it's, you know, this is sort of what you'd expect uh, Hot Space to sound like. Then you've got Back Chat, which was a single. They put it out as a single. And I don't think uh, the other half of Queen were very happy about that. I like Back Chat, you know. It's sort of, it's a bit lightweight, but it's got a good groove and it's very cool as well. 
It's got a weird sort of... Uh, I mean, Brian gets a solo. It's got a, got a sort of a spacey middle bit. Then you've got body language. Infamous body language is basically just the sound of a drum machine and Freddie Mercury screaming about how much he wants your body and just, just describing his favourite bits of bodies, the sexy bits of the bodies. And if you're as uh, invested in Freddie Mercury as an artist and a personality as I am, you d- it just puts a big old smile on my face because that's the ultimate realisation of his, uh, what he wanted to do. It's it's 100% Freddie. And the video is just him sort of half naked in a sauna with lots of other beautiful naked people. And Brian May does a sort of embarrassed sunglasses on guitar solo in there. But that's it's the absolute extreme body language. I don't know if it was the lead single. I mean, God, I hope not. But uh, that would have been quite a whack for the public to absorb. That is as far away from Queen as they've ever got, I think, or as far into this R&B thing. Um, so, yeah, if you saw, if the last thing you heard was, you know, save me or, or play the game from the game uh, or crazy little thing called love, that's another, you know, they're always doing uh, uh, different genres. Anyway, even if that's the last thing you heard, you would still be shot by body language. So uh, it's very sexy. Quite apart from the the shift in styles, it's overtly, aggressively, not aggressively, uh, but sexy. If you can imagine a voice as powerful as Freddie Mercury's screaming at you, I want your body, you know, you give it to him. You say, okay, Fred, fair enough. You put up a good case there. Cool. And, uh, you know, that was the charm of the man. So we've had a we've had a fair whack. I'll give it to you, public. There's, there's weight to the myth. It's ultimately untrue. But those first four tracks... They're pretty shockingly disco-oriented. There are guitars there. Brian does get the odd solo. And it's still Queen because that's Freddie's voice. But yeah, they're pretty disco. And then, track five, you've got Action This Day. And Queen are back, or more specifically, Roger Taylor's back. I'm pretty sure this was his song. Uh, or at least his lyric. And it's really driving. You know, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, on the drums. You can hear him playing them. And it's got this great riff. It's brilliant. And the big old chorus, it just sounds like Queen. It's a Queen rock song. You know, it's it's obviously sort of a, a more popified single rock song, but it's it's rock as hell. Then you got to put out a fire. I know, I went all squeaky then, because this is as rock as it gets. Put out the fire is like this big, slightly clumsily written, lyrically uh, anti-gun song. Uh, you know, it's a noble sentiment. Um, maybe the lyrics trip over themselves a bit, but that's a big old rock song about, like, get rid of... Uh, Guns and Weapons, you know, great sentiment, great song. I love it. I love this record, so that's all I'm going to say about it. Then you've got Life is Real, which is a song that they wrote in tribute to John Lennon, who'd obviously been murdered a couple of years previously. And uh, that's a very, it's a sweet, soft ballad. You know, it's got nice piano work by Freddie. He's singing a very soft lyric. Let me tell you, when you hear uh, the guilt stains on his pillow, those guilt stains were not always guilt stains in early versions of the song. They were slightly more cheeky stains. And the man has a bawdy sense of humour. Again, this is what I like about him. You know, he's obviously incredibly intelligent and talented and uh, he's got a fine mind. But sometimes those people, they can be a bit bawdy and ribald, which uh, which I like. I would have liked to hang out with Freddie Mercury. Come on, who wouldn't? What a guy. Anyway, so that's a, lo- it's a great Queen ballad, you know, quite soft. Then you got Calling All Girls which is a, a, quite a poppy uh, single. Nice jangly guitars in there. I really love it, Calling All Girls. It's a single that gets overlooked 
a lot of the singles on this record, in fact, all of them apart from one, which is a little bit of a cheat, and we'll talk about that later, you won't find them on Greatest Hits. Greatest Hits 1, Greatest Hits 2. I think one of them made it onto Greatest Hits 3 when they were really squeezing it out and they had to put the one with Wyclef Jean on it. And they put the um, George Michael version of Somebody to Love, which I think is actually one of Queen's best songs. Whisper It, I think that might be better than the official Queen version with Freddie on. I mean, I'm not saying he sang better than Freddie, but it's got a certain vibe. Anyway, I, I digest. Uh, you won't find these singles on Greatest Hits 1, 2, or 3. Uh, you won't find the videos, anyone in the video compilations. Frustrating for a guy like me who loves them. And especially because the video to Calling All Girls is a remake of one of my favourite films. <laughs> Again, which I didn't discover until quite late. George Lucas, who's famous for coming up with um, Star Wars, obviously. Uh, his first ever film was uh, a film called THX 1138 which was developed out of his student film that he made to get his um, degree or, or whatever they have in America. Is it a certificate? What do you get when you go to college? I don't know, a hot dog? Anyway, he got one, and uh, the film was so good they made it into an extra-long feature, and if you haven't seen it, it is immense. It's absolutely the best film. Well, it's not the best film. It's pretty good, and if you like science fiction, uh, you should go and check it out. A really unique vision, and if you can... Try and find the one where he hasn't put CGI monkeys in it. I am not joking. That crazy guy has gone back over the years and, and put CGI monkeys in his first ever film. God save us from George Lucas. Uh, and then his next film was American Graffiti. I'm digesting here again, which is incredible as well. And then it was Star Wars. And you think, this guy's first three films were all such incredible classics. And then what happened? You know, who, who, who can say? Red Tails. But... Queen, after finding... I'd only just found this film, uh, THX 1138. Really great science fiction film by George Lucas. And then I saw the video to Calling All Girls. And it's a it's an almost shot-for-shot remake of THX starring Queen. So imagine you're one of your favorite films. How could you make it better? Maybe if there was a different version of it starring your favorite band in the lead roles, Freddie Mercury. Why not? And that's what Queen did. And I've never really got to the bottom of it. Maybe they just recognized a great film when they saw it. Anyway, you've got to check that out. The video for Calling All Girls. I mean, the song's great anyway, but then the video is just bizarre. And uh, so, yeah, it's like a remake of this really fantastic film. Then you've got, after Calling All Girls, you've got Las Palabras de Amor. Did I say that right? Las Palabras de Amor. I'm not going to try it again, which is a really great, big, open, rocking queen ballad like we're used to, along the lines of, you know, We Are the Champions, all that great stuff. Fantastic song. And that's the one that made it onto Greatest Hits 3. Because by that time they were like, ah, come on, it's a good song. Las palabras de amor. And Queen do this every now and then. They did, I think it was on Day at the Races, but I could, I stand to be corrected. But they did Teo Toriate, which uh, I think means Let Us Cling Together. That's certainly what the English subtitle is. A song in partially in Japanese for their Japanese audience. Because, you know, they were, they were known for interacting with their crowd. And again, there's that scene in the, in the Bo Rap film where they invent the stomp, stomp, clap of We Will Rock You to involve the crowd. And so a, a lot of interplay between the audience is you know, the reason why they were just such a fantastic band. They knew they had a big following in Japan since the early days, actually. They were very popular in Japan. And uh, so they wrote them a song with Japanese lyrics. Fantastic. And then when they felt that they were you know, creating a big bond and going down really well in um, Iberia, America, Spanish-speaking America, 
uh, they wrote a song for them, Las Palabras de Amor. Great. And I, that's, there's not a lot of Spanish in it, just the main line. But it's a beautiful song. And uh, that lovely bit of Spanish lends it uh, a lovely flavor. I really dig it. And I love the video. Well, there's, the video is just the performance of them on top of the pops. But Freddie's this, this sort of, uh, I'm doing it now, but you can't see it. What a waste of time. Sort of piano. He like mimes piano with his hands. And it sounds rubbish. But the dude had style, and I have been known to crack that out on the dance floor and then get asked to leave. And just burblings about Freddie Mercury on top of the pops don't make any sense to uh, hard men bouncers, and I end up on the pavement. But let me let me tell you, it's a good move. Check it out. So laps and laps day more. I finally got it wrong. I was doing so well. It's a beautiful song. Then we got Cool Cat, number ten, Cool Cat, which is another deaky number, big bass line in Cool Cat, very laid back. Which is a good idea after that uh, big ballad that I'm not going to say again in case it gets the Spanish wrong. Uh, cools it right down. Ha! Huh. And the funny thing about Cool Cat, Freddie's singing all in uh, falsetto here. Really, really nice. And David Bowie. Bowie? 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 Oh, I'm just going to call him Bowie just to piss everyone off because I can't decide. I know there's the rule, <laughs> but I forget what the rule is. Anyway, David Bowie, he... Um, I don't know if they were buddies or what, but he ended up in their studio and the idea was that he was going to record some backing vocals on Cool Cat. And you can actually find the version with his backing vocals on it. A bit weird, a bit spooky. They give the track a very different flavor, actually. It's mostly like really no notes and then him just sort of talking into the microphone. And having uh, lived with Cool Cat on the album version, the version that got released for so long, it's weird to hear it. But check it out if you can. It did make it onto an early pressing before Bowie was like, I don't like my vocals on that song. Can you take them off, please? I'm going to stop doing all the impressions. That You've had Michael, now you've got David Bowie. Anyway, he asked for his vocals to get scraped off Cool Cat, which is a shame. But don't worry, because obviously we got that legendary uh, collaboration between David Bowie and Queen in Under Pressure, which actually they recorded before the rest of the album. But this, you know, they must have been working on Cool Cat before the rest of Hot Space as well. I always used to think, oh, they just shoved Under Pressure on the end of Hot Space. But from doing a little bit of research, which I do do before I do these, although, you know, I've been, I, I could tell you the track listing of Hot Space off by heart. Uh, I think it was sort of done in the same time. So I think we can sort of say, yep, no, under pressure. It belongs on Hot Space. You know, sometimes people put out a record and they might bung the, the last, the previous single on it just on the end and it was, feels a bit out of place. But actually, over the years, I've begun to sort of feel like under pressure, this fantastic um, sort of jam session with the skit scat scat and all the clicks and pops. I think it sort of serves as a really good summation of all of the Hot Space album because the previous 10 tracks as we sort of said have been have been widely cut down the middle five tracks in this sort of disco R&B sound and then five tracks in the more traditional Queen rocking if it's a ballad or a big storming rocker track traditional Queen and Under Pressure is itself sort of down the middle of those two because you've got this very cool Ding, 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 bass line and it's a bit you know it's a little bit uh, R&B when it starts and everyone's laid back and the scat singing that's sort of R&B kind of you know and then as it builds up obviously we all know how under pressure ends it's sort of this pressure <laughs> this volcano of, of rock that comes out you know can we give ourselves one more chance that great rock ending which is Queen as we know them so this track under pressure is both 
And it's the only track on the album that does that, that really has both. Some of the funk tracks have got like a little bit of guitar on from Brian, uh, but it doesn't, you know, they're no, not true amalgamations. Under Pressure really is. So in that sense, it works really well to round the album off. And it's a great track, you can't deny. And in fact, I got a publishing deal purely on the strength of singing Under Pressure with my boss Bobo at his 45th, I think it was, a 46th birthday party about a year ago. My boss Bobo, he's a good lad. And we went when I was working at a design agency in London, we went to his birthday and I met some of his buddies. And one of them was a guy called Dave who worked for a publishing company. And I didn't want to play it. I wanted to play it cool. And I was like, oh, well, you know, that's cool. I'm a designer. I didn't mention that I was a musician. I could do with a publishing deal. Uh, and we just ate a whole lot of pizza. And then we got talking about it, about the music and whatnot. And then my friend Sergio came in. When I was trying to play it cool, he's like, Jamie, I'm not going to do his accent. <laughs> he said, Jamie, oh, my God, I just heard your new single, Heartbeat. It's amazing. It's the best thing I've ever heard. And I was like, thanks so much, Sergio. Sit down, have a hot dog. He's like, no, you... It's the greatest, <laughs> shouting around to Bobo. So good, like I'd paid him a tenner. I, like I'd planted him. It, people don't do this on a regular basis. They don't, friends that I know, come and storm into a restaurant raving about my latest single. But he's such a sweet guy. And in fact, I was in a band with him and Bobo. This is digesting really far. For a, one night only, I was in a band with my good pal Sergio Gallardo and uh, Bobo and Jim Kinvin, or Jimmy Ballbag as he's known, and sundry other people uh and we had a band for one night and all the songs were about all the annoying uh requests for amends that we got off design clients and it was awful <laughs> but it was fun and so sergio you know i played music with him and bobo so it's great to get that compliment off him and in front of this guy who runs this publishing label i couldn't have asked for a better in and i'm sure he thought it was set up so his interest was peak peaked dave from uh, mute song and then we went into the karaoke booth. And I had to go because I live all the way down here. I don't live in London. And very often, if you're hanging out with me in London, I'll disappear about 7 p.m. before the band has even played or before we've had our main dinner, you know, because i got to get back home on those trains. And so I was like, hey, guys, this has been fun. I didn't really fancy doing any karaoke, really, um, because I'm a bit shy. And and they said, oh, you can't go before you sung a song. Come on. And then Bobo started to look all sad because it was his birthday. I was like, okay, come on. You and me, Bobo, let's do a duet. And we did a duet to Under Pressure. And he did the David Bowie part. And I took the, of course, I took the Freddie Mercury part. And I'm not ashamed to say I smashed it. I went super hard on that. And I'm not a drinking man. I just had the, the power of Queen rushing through me Bobo did very I want to say he acquitted himself very well with David Bowie but let's be frank the evening was mine and uh, that big note at the end with the why and Freddie goes up about six octaves I don't know how I did it it was pizza power uh, I managed to smash that and I saw out of the corner of my eye Dave who is now my publisher I'm happy to say he was he had a little twinkle there and he thought this guy he's got some balls and then I think it was next week he offered me a publishing deal which is great not because of how good Sergio said my song was. I think just because of how good I did that uh, Queen cover. I mean, he'll be gutted when he finds out that Queen wrote it and it's not me. But at that moment, I think there was a special something in the room. And that was great. And I did a big mic drop and I got the train home fantastic. And they had a much better time without me once I've left. But I think that was probably my best performance of anything ever. And only those uh, six lucky people will ever see it. Anyway, so Under Pressure. Fantastic song. Great round off the record. And it's just a fantastic queen album it's fascinating 
and bizarre and it did not go well for them. There was a backlash against what had happened, led mainly by the drummer Roger Taylor. And there's a great clip of him. I don't know if you've seen the Days of Our Lives documentary. I, I thoroughly recommend it. Again, not thorough enough for me. It's only two hours long. I insist upon minimum 70 hours of Queen footage and reminisces. But there's a bit in an interview with Roger Taylor talking about the new record. Like, this is the record he's trying to promote, right? Saying, oh, I don't always like all the stuff we do. In fact, there's quite a few bits on this new album I can't stand. <laughs> Just in this sort of Roger Taylor way, and you think, oh, great, Roger Taylor, thanks very much. But uh, sadly, the public agreed with him. Did not go well for them. And funnily enough, uh, when you if you seek, uh, seek out that fantastic concert, Queen on Fire, live at the Bowl from Milton Keynes, Freddie even addresses this. He says, we're going to do a few different sounding songs now off our new record. And then I can't hear anyone boo. But then he says, oh, it's only a bloody record. <laughs> I don't know what people get so excited about. And he's right. He's right. Because with a career as long as Queen's, you can afford, I think you can afford to step outside your comfort zone. And in fact, I think it's mandatory. I think you must. Even if you then go back to what you know and, and love, that's fine. At least you tried. God damn it. At least they tried. God, cool. I got very upset then. And, uh, you know, fair play to him. Fair play to him. And never again <laughs> would they go quite so disco. Although, I don't know, if you listen to, to, to uh, You Don't Fool Me on Made in Heaven, that's pretty disco. Uh, anyway. Uh, another great record. I could just talk about all the Queen records. But uh, no, it didn't go so well for them. And it, it is popular legend because Under Pressure had been a hit before Hot Space came out. They'd already released that as a single. So that didn't help the album at all. And uh, neither did any of the weird singles they put out. It is popular legend that this was the reason that Queen went on hiatus in 1983. They didn't play any shows at all after 10 years of touring because uh, of the fiasco that's not quite true they did actually record they recorded you know one of their best albums the works in that year and it was very productive and lots of extra material that didn't go on the record that surfaced later for the works. so a very productive period for them and a couple of them uh did their own records i think roger did a record and brian did a record i'm not exactly clear when freddie did his mr bad guy record which is again is very disco uh but pretty rocking in places uh and again, it's sort of unfairly maligned. I think the Mr. Bagger record is very good. I'm digesting. I have to say that the final the final word on Hot Space has to belong to Michael Jackson, not me, to Michael Jackson, because he claimed at various points that, uh, you know, he loved another one bites the dust, and he was right about that. And he said that was the jelly. It was the jelly. He, he later said that Hot Space was the inspiration for him to make Thriller. So you can't, you can't argue with that. If one of the greatest musicians of all times, after having made one of the greatest albums of all time, says, you know what? My inspiration was Hot Space. Then there's got to be something in this weird little record, Hot Space, that not just me and Michael Jackson adore. I'm sure John Deacon's pretty chuffed with it as well. Maybe don't mention it to Roger Taylor. But uh, I just love it. And the album art, if you can see the album art, that was what drew it, drew me to it in the first place. I had a big old book of uh, Queen when I was young and they had the pictures of all the records and I saw the album art. Amazing. Uh, the, I think the idea was that it was um, inspired in part by the cover for Let It Be, the, the final Beatles album, with the, which is quartered and a picture of each of them on it. And I think later Demon Days uh, by Gorillaz was in turn um, inspired by 
hot space and let it be and you know i'm sure this kind of thing and that blur album as well the blur greatest hits that was quarters i think they're probably more <laughs> influenced by let it be uh, than hot space i'd be surprised if any of them heard hot space given how maligned it is but you know i wouldn't put it past them let's say it stands as a tradition of, of great artists ripping off the beatles which is totally fine um but i love it you know as i've said i think their their best album and my favorite is probably the game but Hot Space comes a very close second and it's definitely way more interesting than the game to listen to. And they work very well as a package. They inform each other. Um, so yeah, that's Hot Space. And I'm going to I'm gonna go out on a limb here because uh, and tell you a little personal story about myself. Because when I found Queen in the early 90s, just after Freddie died, I got a little um, Greatest Hits tape and I played it to death on a particular holiday, actually, in Bulgaria, where I bought the tape. And at the same time, I found the other love of my life, Doctor Who. <laughs> they happened at the same time. And here's a weird little... And maybe it's not a coincidence. Maybe it's not even worth saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Because I'm in my cosy room, and no one can tell me what to do now. Uh, so I'm going to tell you. I found Queen and Doctor Who at the same time. In particular, the, the Doctor Who story, Caves of Androzani, which is widely held to be the best ever Doctor Who from the start of the 80s. And what happened with Caves of Androzani was Doctor Who is its peak. And it was a very gritty story. And it regularly gets voted the best ever. And people who saw it at the time thought, oh, this this could be good for Doctor Who. And, and what followed was Doctor Who's worst period, mainly because it was so gritty and dark and violent, much maligned period of Doctor Who after Caves of Androzani. And some people have suggested that maybe this was because having seen the success of Caves of Androzani, which was very gritty but also had a lot of heart, you know, great story, they they maybe focused on just the one element of it, the grittiness, and put that forward in, in future Doctor Who, hoping to replicate its success. And what they ended up with was a sort of hollow failure that people uh, reacted really strongly against, that weirdly enough, I love. Um, and you could say maybe that same thing happened to Queen, because when I was listening, when I was discovering Doctor Who, the, the songs that stood out for me on Greatest Hits 1 are all off the game, right? Another One Bites the Dust was this huge hit off the game, and, and Queen thought, ah, let's take that element of that record that did so well, the R&B element, and let's do more of that and see where that goes. And again, a big failure that I love. So I am aware that I am stretching this to absolute crazy levels, um, but even... <laughs> I can't resist. It even... The cover of hot space with this sort of piebald multicolored effect that looks like the costume they put the doctor in for the maligned series of doctor who that was so violent i'm looking at them both here because i've got hot space in my office here and i've got a replica of that multicolored coat and now i'm just seeing all kinds of links between and the number of uh, action figures i have is precisely 273 and that is the same number as the house where I was born, except it's not. I'm going to go completely beautiful mind on you here. So I'm going to leave it here before I lose all of my senses. But I hope you enjoyed that conspiracy theory about how Doctor Who and Queen are sort of simultaneous. Because for me, they're very much bound together. And I realize that's a particular malady that only I suffer. But I enjoy it. And I'm going to go... I'm, do you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to go and I'm going to put Caves of Androzani on the DVD. And at the same time, full volume... I'm going to blast uh, Queen Hot Space and I'm going to enjoy the collision of those two things and that's how I'm going to spend my night, you know. And I hope however you spend your night, you have a fantastic time 
And I want to say thanks very much once again for having me here on the on the Riot Act, and thanks for Renfrew and Steve for allowing me to occupy their uh, personal space. Who's up in my personal space? Personal space. Thanks so much. Have fun. Bye now. That was the world according to Jamie Lenman talking about Hot Space by Queen. We uh, look for. I don't think you can get more loopy than that, really, can it, Renfrew? Uh, that is a fucking mad album. No, no, yeah. absolutely not. It's insane. Yeah, and insane, they're like right? the biggest band ever. Pretty yeah, much, especially yeah. at the moment with the old, yeah. the old bow rap in the old yeah. cinemas. It is. Yeah, have you seen that? I've not. No, I've seen it. It's quite good. Yeah. Some bits of it are not is a bit Hollywoody, but yeah, overall. I'm good. not so. Uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, music. Films. Oh, are you not? You shouldn't be doing this. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like a bit music. I'm not really a big fan of music. I'm not a big fan of um, films about music because I, you know how like um, astronauts will watch like Gravity and go, yeah, it's great, but that wouldn't really happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I kind of feel like that with films about music. I'm just always like, yeah, look, that's there's a bit so in it where stupid. he find a uh, spoiler alert if you're going to go and watch Bernie Rhapsody. There's a bit where he finds out he has AIDS the day before Live Aid. Pretty sure that didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. And I'm pretty sure, like, they went, "Oh, Queen have split up," and Freddie's gone off to do his solo tour, his solo shows, and there's no room for them to play Live Aid, so they had to beg to get on the light. It's like that's bollocks. They're on, they're on tour, right? And Bob Geldof just announced them for Live Aid. Mm. That's the truth. Mm. But hey, it's a little bit of artistic license, um, and a pretty shit way to end the show. <laughs> like to be honest what should we talk about for five minutes yeah okay good bonjour bonjour yeah she bit me earlier um right okay well, we're gonna be back next week yes we are and we were going to be reviewing amongst other things uh i told you i would eat you oh. now i get hungry sometimes yeah um we're not allowed to eat on here though are we no i'm eating on a sandwich in a minute um i told you i'd eat you now i just want to say we're reviewing that because many, 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 many people... That was Commandant Lissard from Police Academy. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Many, 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 many people. Isn't uh, that the bit where he gets a blowjob underneath the, the, some sort of podium? Your favourite bit? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he does that throughout the entire seven film oh, series, uh, Yeah, probably. But, Police Academy, eh? Well, rank your police academy. No, no, let's do this Rank time. your police academy... <laughs> Rank, you know, from one to seven. Well, the Mission to Moscow, I tried to watch a few months ago. It's fucking dreadful. It is fucking, like, unbelievably bad. It's fucking Unbelievably bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it has got Ron Perlman in it. Has it? He's the baddie. Ron Perlman, Hellboy. Oh, my God. He's the bad guy in... Poor Ron. We've got to start somewhere. You look, what's some of them film? The baddie in See No Evil, Hear No Evil? You know that is? Yes. Uh, I I know the film, sorry. Oh, that's my yes. So, you know, Kevin Spacey. Is it? Yeah. And he did become a villain, didn't and he? He really did become a villain, yeah. <laughs> but I think he said, see no evil, hear no evil to a lot of uh, young people. Oh, can we keep that in? Yeah, oh, you can. Okay, let's do it. He's admitted to it. No, it's fine. <laughs> anyway, I told you I would eat you. Many people, particularly some of our friends on the Download Festival Forum, Hello, guys. have said you should review that. So next week we're going to. Um, go to musicism.net put Riot in in capitals in the uh, <laughs> checkout and you'll get 25% off of your courses I think that's really good I really want to put Kevin something about Kevin Spacey as the title okay. but we can't <laughs> we can't
can't We'd probably do get in trouble that. for that, won't we? We can't do that. Spunking anyway, over spacey. No, 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 no. <laughs> we have to. Go. Just wanted to bring a bit of spunk back into it. You know, yeah. it's been a, it's been a few weeks. It hasn't. It's every week. <laughs> uh, anyway, see you next week. Bye.